0: And welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Suriel Vasquez. Hello, Jeff, Marchiafava. Hello, and Kyle Hilliard. Hey, welcome me. everybody. Uh, we are here to talk about the highlights from Gamescom 2021. It's an all-digital event, but that don't mean it don't got news. So we're going to talk about Jeff Keighley's opening night thing, um, Xbox, Xbox's attempt at a big showcase thing, all that fun stuff. Uh, and then we're going to rip open the big bag of junk food and dive in for a big old discussion of Psychonauts 2. Uh, very excited to talk about this thing. Uh, then, back half of the show, we have some great community questions all lined up, ready to go, from people who submitted those questions over on Patreon. Um, Kyle, did you notice that Jeffum looks different today?
1: Uh, yeah, I can see more of his room. I guess.
0: Yeah, that's really the the major difference. It's the same camera and everything. But technically, I imagine, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, the camera is mounted on your new monitor, yes? Yes, so it's higher. My God. And it's a new monitor because we finally did it. Jeff finally got a gaming PC. I'm a PC gamer now. Congratulations. Was that, God, is that, God, is that like God, a Patreon goal? I don't you. remember. Yeah. <laughs> oh, crap. Jeff, we should have made it a Patreon goal. What were we doing? Just spending min-max money just on a basic gaming PC.
2: Oh, we blew it.
0: <laughs> yeah. But uh, I finally dragged Jeff over to Micro Center here in Minneapolis and <laughs> walked him through each aisle. And uh, me and the salesman threw a bunch of stuff in the cart, and he politely smiled enough that it seemed like it was a sale. <laughs> but how was the setup for you, Jeff?
2: Well, first of all, I was wearing a mask, so how do you know I was smiling? <laughs> That's true. You can see it through the mask. Oh, yeah. It was peeking out <laughs> on either side. Yeah. No, uh, it's been going well, and I think I may have actually fixed the problem I was having earlier. Oh, what was the problem? I did, like, some check disk command. You were basically hacking. Oh. The likes of which haven't been seen since the net, Hanson. Wow. So you hacked yourself? Yes. <laughs> wow. sounds amazing.
0: Sandra Bullock? Yeah, everybody See? knows the net. Exactly. At least someone gets it. <laughs> I didn't know what the net was when Kyle
1: wrote so The first thing you did earlier. in honor of the net was order a pizza on the internet, right? That's right.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so people are demanding specs. Jeff, I'm rattle them off. Here we go. What'd you get?
2: <laughs> uh, it's, it's got a solid state drive like a console does. Yep, one terabyte. Um, yeah, it's got a second one that's also a terabyte. Too, All right. So I can choose which one I want to put stuff on. It's amazing. Uh it's got it's got a fast processor in it. Okay. Uh, it's got it's got an NVIDIA chip card in <laughs> You're it. You're
0: there, yeah. Thirty sixty. Uh and then thirty-two gigs of RAM in that second one. Like a so. true PC gamer you are. <laughs> yep. Computer, what kind of CPU would you like? Fast, please. Mm-hmm. Make mine working. Fair no- yep uh so look forward to jeff um uh, checking out all the hot pc games uh he now has no more excuses to play everything that's good uh people in the chat are blown away shazira pc uh, champ herself is quoting you saying like a console does and then says lol at <laughs> the idea of you compares comparing this beast of a pc to some measly console jeff oh, my
2: god uh, yeah
0: i know uh, was it also fun when you had
1: to do all that hacking? Were you like, oh yeah, just like a console. Okay, this is buddy. great. I love troubleshooting.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> oh boy. That right. was fun. Hey. Tom'sHardwareGuide.com or whatever <laughs> it is.
0: Uh, Gamescom stuff. We should uh, unpack this. So Jeff Keighley had his big Gamescom opening night live two hour stream which I felt was a little bit downplayed. I watched, like, his Q&As ahead of time, and he's like, eh, there's some reveals, look forward to it. You know, nothing quite on that Elden Ring level, which might be true, but still, it was two hours, and it was packed. I think they said they had, what, like, 40 games or something like that? Uh, Jeff and I recorded our full reaction stream. But, Jeff, what did you think about that whole show for kicking off Gamescom?
2: Yeah, it was. it was definitely... More of a surprise because, like you said, Keely tempered expectations, and that's not what you usually expect from Keely. Like, well, f- usually, any reveal is the most amazing thing in the world. And so, if he's saying, Well, you know, it's okay, don't get your hopes up too much. But it was like it was a solid lineup of game, not, you know, like the biggest AAA A games necessarily, but a, a good, decent of. like a wide selection of games that I would want to check out and actually play
0: yeah yeah he seemed to be really big on teasing uh, the next character reveal for Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania Uh which uh, Kyle the answer was Morgana from Persona is going to be in Monkey Ball alongside Sonic and Tails and Beat from Jet Set Radio isn't that Yakuza isn't Kiryu going to be in there too oh really oh I missed that one yeah uh so they're packing this thing full but it's a good lesson kyle uh keep this in mind uh in your marketing world is all you have to do is just tease there will be a new character revealed and you can build up hype for anything i'm looking forward to super monkey ball but still like just that tease of we will have a new character suddenly i'm now on the edge of my seat about super monkey ball which is tough it could to do be anything Hanson? you realize that that's my life yeah. now <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like...
1: yeah for people that I just, I just look at a wave of people wanting characters that's that is that's my day job now <laughs> do you want to explain why i don't think we've talked about it on air Oh, I don't think we have. I, I I'm working on Nickelodeon All Star Brawl, and that's all people want is character reveals, which is super exciting. It's it's cool. I'm, I, it's fun to see that that huge wave of requests and me going, I know who's right and wrong here. And
3: yeah, my, my my last fifty DMs to Kyle have just been the names of uh, of characters I would like to see in the game with no context. So I, right. so I just texted him <laughs> the Fresh Prince. Or like whatever else <laughs> I'm thinking of Carlton, <laughs> uh, and I have specified in that one the person, not the dance.
0: Right, right. Uh, but yeah, Kyle, I, mean, I appreciate those. Thank you. No. They're very helpful. But yeah, you're on the marketing, social media end for Game Mail, which is the publisher that's making that Nickelodeon yes. All Stars Brawl thing. So, but hey, Kyle, uh, character reveals are huge. You should write that down somewhere still, just like a poster. of the on your characters. Monitor. Yeah, yeah. It's a really <laughs> good idea. Just, okay. Got it. Got strategy. it. Strategy. Uh, but yeah, I was. Dead amb- dog. <laughs> I was amazed by uh, this Gamescom opening night live because they seem to out Xbox Xbox in some ways. Like they got the Halo Infinite segment for the opening night live with Jeff Keighley, compared to there was an Xbox games showcase that was ninety minutes that was the day before, and they did not have Halo Infinite there. It was. I think it's a sign of just a tip of the cap to big boss man, Jeff Keighley, that like, all right, this is clearly the bigger stage. we got to have it in this big opening ceremony. So that's where we're going to reveal this new Halo trailer and actually give the final release date, which, Kyle, I don't know if you saw that sucker. Do you see when it's coming out? It's de- December? Yeah, December 8th, which is okay. in that tough window for like Game of the Year awards That's Advanced
3: Force Primetime. I don't know what they're doing.
0: Yeah, they're going to get crushed out there. Yeah, by a tank. Uh, But they also revealed that, like, okay, we got a Series X uh, Halo Edition thing, a new controller, the Elite Wireless Controller Series 2, that's going to be a Halo Infinite-themed thing. Joseph Statton came out there and joked with Keeley for a while about the multiplayer. Um, But before this whole event, uh, 343 let the world know that there is not going to be Forge at launch when this thing comes out, and there's not going to be campaign co-op. That's surprising. That's rough. That's a, I mean, that was. I feel like that's what sunk Halo
1: Five. I mean, Halo Five was did well and was a hit, but I mean, the the biggest knock against that game was the lack of like, you know, local co-op. So to like handicap that at all is like that's that's a that's a decision. That's a move.
0: Yeah. When I first saw that headline, I was like, oh, I I was guessing this was going to happen that the campaign was not going to be ready, and it turns out they were just going to do. The multiplayer so i misread it as campaign not being at launch so then when i dialed it back to okay no campaign co-op better than i imagined but still i think so many halo fans are going to be like stuck in this lurch of like how long am i waiting do i sit around now and not even touch the campaign because i'm used to playing halo campaigns with my buddies i don't know like surreal are, i mean would that change the way you're going to play I, this thing i, I want to mention please. Quick, also halo hits that
1: weird thing where like yeah, it, it, like n- people who aren't usually huge gamers play Halo, right? So they yeah. might just check in for Halo every couple of years, and I think there's going to be a lot of people who take it home and are like very confused and upset that they can't do co-op. You know? Oh, yeah, for
3: sure. I, I have like a surprisingly uh, thorough history with like Halo, and specifically like having not played any of those campaigns and just playing multiplayer. I imagine that people who are kind of in that same realm are just going to look at, oh, Halo, it's the it's a new Halo, like having not heard anything about it and dive in and realize, oh, I either I can't play the campaign and I can't play with my friends, what am I even doing here? But you, for me now, I think I would, I'm would i okay with it. Like I would probably, th- like depending on how the campaign shakes out, I would definitely do something of like, oh, I'll, I'll play it on my own for the story and to take in all the, the dialogue and stuff. But if I'm playing a campaign, I'm probably not going to pay attention to what's going on. So I'm I'm almost already in the tank for at least two playthroughs of this, regardless of the quality, right. uh, assuming that my friends who like Halo are still really into it. So,
0: yeah, yeah, I'm I'm still very much looking forward to it. But like, I don't know when they're going to rip that aid off and really dive in deep on the campaign because it's been a long time. I still feel like they've been pretty light. I mean, what? It was last summer when there was that big campaign demo that everybody was up in arms about. And then there was the kind of the story focused kind of teaser trailer a while ago, but I feel like they need to have some big event just blowing the lid off what that campaign is actually going to be like with the new visuals in new environments and stuff like that. But so Keely got that big scoop, which was nice. And then also he got the gameplay trailer for age of empires four, uh, which was infuriating because you know, Leo and I watched the Xbox Games Showcase uh, yesterday, the day before the, the big opening night live, and it blew my mind and I felt like the Age of Empires fans are getting done dirty because they had a whole segment about Age of Empires 4, Kyle. Yeah. Probably 10 minutes long, did not show an ounce of gameplay. I feel like they were taking that lesson, which I know you're big on, that don't show RTS gameplay, (laughs) please, whatever you do, you will turn off people. And they took that too well to heart because what they did is they focused on what they call wonderful little videos, like these documentary clips that are going to be in the campaign for Age of Empires 4. And they just showed like a three minute video about building a trebuchet, like live action video of this thing. And I just, I was screaming about just, you're turning off people from Age of Empires, like it's a fun game. Try to like tap into the nostalgia of RTSs, but the idea that you're not willing to show gameplay during your big showcase, trying to get people excited for this, and instead you're showing them like a B-tier History Channel segment on building a trebuchet. Like no wonder people think Age of Empires is boring because you're making it look boring right now. As somebody that loves History Channel B-tier documentaries and somebody who loves Age of Empires, when I'm bored, you're doing a bad job.
3: Here's a specific thing that I think Age of Empires might be running into, is that if you show gameplay of that, even if it looks really good, I I almost wonder if they just looked at those ads for those really deceptive mobile games where it's just like, you're building your empire and, like, you're just clicking on random stuff. There's, like, there's no way that in an ad we can show this off without, like, if we're not, unless we're super thorough about how in-depth this is versus that crap, uh... Like, there's no way for us to show that off without it seeming like, hey, we have full motion video of people talking about history, and then here's this game that looks like a cheap mobile game. Not that, that that's what that game looks like, well, now. some fans think it's so, just like but yeah. just at an at glance look at it, it's like you you'd be hard-pressed to distinguish it, right? Yeah. So I hear that. I wonder if there's
0: ugh, Even though I hated when like Command and Conquer would do this when they were trying to drum up interest for their last one, which eventually was was canceled. But I wonder if there's just some way that they could have highlights of a match and actually have like some streamers on there like reacting to things. That seems like the best way to try and show off. They're like, oh, there's some life here. And There's actually people playing it with a mouse and keyboard. There's, it's a fun pseudo LAN party for Age of Empires 4. Regardless, it's coming at the end of October. I'm very much looking forward to it. But uh, that was Xbox's showcase, which it, it was not the best. It was, it was pretty dry compared to the Keeley thing, which I think was great. But Jeff, um, what do you think stood out to you the most from the whole Keeley presentation here?
2: Do you even have to ask, <laughs> I don't have to ask. This thing is ridiculous. It's Doka V. Doka V, everybody. The game none of us had never heard of. No. And now it's all we can think about. Kyle, have you <laughs> seen this
1: trailer for Doka V? No, I, I saw a GIF of, like, a, a child attaching some device to their arm. I saw people talking about it. It, it, it was it was a very busy day for me, so, like, I, I really was just sort of checking in period. I saw people talking about trebuchets, yes. and I saw people talking about Doke-A-V, so I would love <laughs> to hear
0: more. <laughs> okay, Kyle, while we're talking, I'm serious. Just as an animation nerd... I need you to look up the gameplay trailer and just look at the animation in this game. But, okay, taking a step back. This is a, what they call, creature-collecting open-world action-adventure, open-world MMO, and it feels like if you threw a gazillion dollars at Game Freak to make a Pokemon game. Like, the animations in this game feel next-gen, and I know it's just the start of a current generation. Like, they are bonkers to the point that yeah it's dragging the you know frame rate down a bit here and there but this game looks too good for this earth and therefore i'm very skeptical
2: yeah it's it's never actually coming out i, I, <laughs> I don't know takeaway.
0: so it's from a south korean developer named pearl abyss who uh, released black desert online uh which is the mmo which is a oh. good looking game but still no comparison for dokev which is D O K E. <laughs> V. Okay,
3: because I was looking for it and I was redirected to Donkey videos. And that's not good. <laughs> so I, I had also great looking. They it.
1: are also next generation. Uh, I'm watching it now. They're skateboarding in the streets. They're yes. riding bikes on highways. It's very dangerous. <laughs>
0: but isn't that animation absurd, oh, Kyle?
1: Hold on. Uh, there's a moment of someone uh, using a, a, uh, an umbrella to glide around. So I know. this is now my favorite game.
0: There's a jet ski it, it is packing more into one game than I've ever seen done for one trailer. What? I am it is one of my most anticipated games right now, but also that is with the biggest asterisk imaginable. Of I just do not believe that this game will come out looking anything close to like this trailer. I-
3: You know, I was was totally on board with you guys
1: saying that, like sight unseen, but the fact that you said it's Black Desert Online, Mm -hmm. right? Like that, Dev? Yeah. That gives me confidence. Like, that's a really good-looking game that, like, kind of came out of nowhere, and this is another really good-looking game that came out of nowhere, you know?
0: That's true. I'm sure there's going to be some downgrade comparisons, but that's true. It's better than just, hey, here's a South Korean developer you've never heard of before making this game that looks stupid ambitious. But I don't think they had a release date for this thing yet. They're also developing a game called Plan 8. Uh, which is a shooter here, but um, on the official site they they have a whole note here that says, "Wondering how to pronounce Dokavi? Read it as Dokevi. It's the world where the Dokavi live in, Jeffum. So oh, yeah, there you go. that's a, that's what, what explains do Dokavi. Yeah. I mean, completely out of the blue, most exciting trailer. <laughs> I think maybe at that presentation because I did not see it coming, and it is so bonkers. Uh, so." It looks cool. Yeah, super high on my radar. And yeah, sir, I think you're totally right. It kind of has that big Hero 6 vibe combined with elements of Pokemon. And it looks like there's hints of Monster Hunter in there as well. It's just everything. You know, the, the combat actually
1: looks like Kingdom Hearts. Ooh. Like, just like mechanically. Yeah. Uh, which, is a, which is a a positive thing. Like, I, which is I, the, one of my favorite, the, the best part of Kingdom Hearts is the combat.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, So yeah, that's the one that Jeff Fum uh, also lost his mind to, but... I'm trying to think of what the next big thing is. Like, Surreal, is somebody who didn't watch uh, the stream, like, what popped out on Twitter? What were people talking about, you think?
3: Uh, Marvel XCOM, Midnight Suns?
0: Is yeah, that- yes. So this was rumored a while ago. They finally revealed it because um, it was leaked a while ago that, hey, it looks like the XCOM 2 team is working on Marvel XCOM. And it's officially revealed from Firaxis this game is called Midnight Suns. S U N S which is apparently a story comic arc dealing with kind of the the underworld kind of the shadier more supernatural aspect of the Marvel universe but
2: Jefflin, what'd you think of what they showed for Midnight Suns Um I mean you have you had me at Marvel Xcom basically Oh yeah um they they didn't show any gameplay the gameplay is coming September 9? September 1st, I think they're going to show it off, yeah. September 1st, yeah. Um, and so uh, that's what I really want to see, even though I suspect it's just going to look like XCOM, but with Marvel characters in there. Uh, but they had they had a very wide array of characters. They had Wolverine looking <laughs> super cool.
0: And that's like, yeah... Know. I'm a Marvel fan. Like, that idea of them leaning into Wolverine for this reveal trail, I think is super smart just to try and distinguish it from, eh, it's not like your Marvel's Avengers thing. We're pulling from some more exciting areas for the Marvel universe that you aren't just used to we from the got movies. Named. What's that? Wolverine. You have the X-Men, they who must not be named. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but so the characters they revealed that are playable so far is Iron Man, Captain America, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, and then this is them teaming up with the Midnight Suns, which is Blade, Niku... Minoru, who i do not know magic uh ghost rider and then wolverine and then their big pitch is that it has the first ever customizable official new character in marvel's universe called the hunter so that's like the player no character that they're just trying to incorporate and make it seem like a fancy thing like oh this
3: is actually like a real marvel character it's the hunter everybody Is that an original character? I have a hard time believing there isn't a character in Marvel called the Hunter. That's the way that they pitch it. Uh Maybe they're getting cheeky. That's a Spider-Man villain, right? Craven, the Hunter. Yeah. So this one's not Craven. He's he's completely different. Okay. Yeah. There's sorry. Absolutely no relation. Um, I I saw uh, something going around about how I think people were kind of upset that it's like, oh, it's not. It doesn't have permadeath. It's like it's more of an RPG than it is an XCOM. (sighs) Yeah, Which is what I'm kind of excited about. I I totally think they should go that direction of making it more fire emblem and more kind of arcadey. If you're for bringing in Marvel characters,
0: and it seems like they're kind of going that way. Yeah, so all they've really said is like in the presentation, Jake Solomon, is the creative director, who's the creative director for Enemy Unknown and XCOM Two, um, and yeah. a very funny human being. We should super add. funny and very nice. Okay. Up there, top three favorite developers in the industry is this Jake Solomon fella. Um, but they were leaning into that idea of yeah, it's also. A, RPG, leaning into the tactics RPG angle. And like in between missions, you're going to be exploring the Abbey, which is like your headquarters. And it's like this third person exploration where you're building up relationships between the characters, which seems pretty cool. Um, But I remember we were watching the stream, Jeff, and we were both screaming like, why don't they just say this is Marvel XCOM? Why are they going out of the way to explain it like this? But Polygon has an interview with Jake Solomon where he said, quote, there are zero mechanics shared between XCOM and the Midnight Suns.
3: Pressing the A button
0: does nothing. (laughs) Uh, So I think they're trying to explain, the way he talked about it there is that they started out with it very much being Marvel XCOM, and then as the development continued, they realized we need to shake it up a bit more. So he says, uh, this is from Polygon, thank you for uh, doing some good reporting there, Polygon, saying, uh, Solomon said players will also be interacting more with the environment, leaping off cars, pulling down light poles, kicking objects all the way across the map. Quote, you're doing these very large moves, these epic moves, and so the mechanics are just completely different, which results in you still scratching the same itch because it's turn-based tactics combat where you're controlling a team, but the fantasy is very different, and that means the mechanics are 100% different.
2: That doesn't sound like my definition of 100%. I think you know. it's a, if it's If it's a squad-based, turn-based action strategy game... Yeah, but more tactics game. Yeah, maybe more
0: it's going to be you're on, uh, you know, the aggressive side of things. That's yeah, also think, what he I was saying. It,
3: hmm. I think it's like less you're playing defense and always scared. Cause I think at some point, you know, in development, they had to say, like, oh, Wolverine's going to attack. Oh, it missed. We can't make this game this way. This, like, this, this can't happen. Like, we can't have, right. like, people, like, being all scared to use Wolverine's powers or, like, oh, well, Cap's dead. So that's the rest of my campaign done. Uh, so I think they're just yeah, going to make it like up out the window. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. If anything, it's probably going to be closer to Rabbids, like where it's just like, you're doing all this kind of rebounding, not that this is the same developer, but it feels like it is just, it is the same mechanics, but with a very, very different vibe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing gameplay. Still super excited about it. Um, and it's weird. I just thinking about like them, that team wrapping up XCOM two and then Marvel calling Bill Roseman over there at Marvel, picking up the phone And it's like, well, I guess at this point, who would say no to Marvel? Like, it's such a weird idea of like the XCOM team being like, I mean, we got to take this shot. Look what it did to Insomniac. And like XCOM 2, I don't know if it quite had the same cultural impact that Enemy Unknown had. So it's like, do we keep just making XCOM games? It's kind of the perfect move of let's shake up the formula and also attach one of the world's biggest IPs to it. Yeah,
3: because yeah. Marvel has definitely been more experimental about, like, just licensing it out to everybody. So, yeah. uh, at, some, at some point, if you're a developer with, like, a great fundamental system, uh, but maybe not, like, the biggest franchises, then, like, yeah, of course, if Marvel comes knocking, you're going to be like, yeah, you're not going to say, like, well, not after Black Widow, but uh, <laughs> you're just, you're just going to say, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh,
0: so, yeah, March 2022 is when that game's coming out, which is a lot uh, a lot sooner than I thought as well. Um also, mopping up everything they revealed here, uh, they revealed, Kyle, a new Saints Row game. That was rumored, right? It was, it was rumored, and then I believe Volition even came out there and said they were working on a new Saints Row game, but this is a reboot of Saints Row that's coming out February 22nd, 2022. So, oh,
1: wait, okay. For some reason in my head, I went to a remake of the first game, but that, that's not. It's, no. It's a, just... Okay. Yeah, so there's... Like is it called Saints Row without it, a number
0: to kind of... Yeah, Okay. Yep, it's cool. just called Flat Saints right. Row. And they're describing it as, yeah, a, a reboot in a new city called Santo Aleso, which is kind of Las Vegas looking. Um, and their biggest map ever. And uh, they had an interview where they talked about, eh, it's more grounded, a little bit more dark. But then they brought up the natural point of, like, well, after Saints Row 4, like, everything has to be more grounded. Like, don't expect this to be, like, a gritty tale or something, but it's going to be scaling things back a little bit just so you can't keep escalating Are you go- that. Are you
2: going to turn into a toilet? No, then it's more grounded. I get—honestly, I wouldn't rule it out.
0: I bet they're still going to have some aspect there. The like,
3: hacking section, yeah.
0: Yeah, they're still going to have the insurance fraud and everything in there. But, um, yeah, it's cool to see Saints Row coming back and yeah. Volition still— existing which i feel like is a bit of a miracle like the studio down there in champaign illinois after what agents of mayhem was 2017 and i feel like everyone's been on the fence about like new ownership what's going to be going on down here thq nordic the deep silver stuff but like hey they're making a new saints Row. it's cool
3: yeah it's well because it's weird because like i feel like gta has never been bigger but like the opportunity to make a game for gta fans who aren't into gta online is bigger than ever so it's right. almost like this, this kismet of like well we can scale down and not have to make this thing that is so distinct from gta like we can basically make a single-player gta game with like that is more fun and we feel a oh void that i think people have been missing for a really long time
0: yeah that is true like who would ever think that obviously saints Row, the first one was made like hey we gotta beat gta to next gen platforms uh and they did it and it blew up because of that and now GTA 5 is one of the biggest games on the planet And there's just huge vacuum Because no one has really taken
3: a stab at it Since the launch yeah. of GTA 5 Is there something I'm missing for like that's Well I feel like like the what's happened is Just every game is open world now Right So, right. so mm-hmm. it feels less special when a GTA game comes out Because I feel like Red Dead was like huge But it, it didn't feel like the cultural thing That Red Dead 1 did Because like every game was kind of in that scope Um, But I feel like now it's just like just something about like, here's an open world game set in the modern world uh, that is like not that doesn't have like a a hook of like, well, you're a, a werewolf or whatever. Like it's just something that is just traditionally just run around and blow stuff up. I feel like that is surprisingly rare.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so they're pushing in the in the marketing so far, at least. Uh, the idea of this being co-op, you can play the entire campaign co-op. You can create your own character, Jeffem, um, even though they okay. have like, that character in the trailer, like, ah, oh, we call her the boss, but I guess that's just kind of the default. Um, but then you can still create your own character and you go around and buy buildings, but the idea of like emphasizing co-op for the Saints Row campaign...
2: That being, like, the star of the show, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, but it that's also weird considering that they brought on the actress who's playing the boss. Right. Like, Jeff Keighley, that was his interview for that game. And she was right. talking about that character. It's weird that, the, I guess, that's just, like, default character for yeah, her. You've
3: you always played as the boss in Saints Row. It was always you just called then, the boss? Yeah, it's just whatever you want. Like, the boss was the name of the character, and, like, you could just modify that however you wanted. And, but gotcha. But in, in 3, I know that you had like five voices in one of them. I think think the joke was one of them was just Nolan North. Like they had a default male character and one of them was just Nolan North also.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Also, it's going to be cross-gen, which is, you know, a little disappointing, but it's been in development for so long, I guess that's fine. Um, Let's see, they showed Call of Duty Vanguard uh, in one of maybe the most lackluster game demos for Call of Duty I've seen in a long time. we kind of like, hey, they're really emphasizing we got Laura Bailey, first time in a Call of Duty game to kind of walk through this gameplay sequence where she's a Russian sniper kind of learning how to kill and then escalating to killing everybody. But yeah, the headline is Sledgehammer's going back to Call of Duty World War II. Or sorry, just to World War II, I think is what it was originally called. Um and uh, it's made by Call of Duty, apparently not Activision. That's the way they word it. It's a whole long saga. Uh, that was it. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they announced that uh, April O'Neil's coming to this thing, to Shredder's Revenge, which has been delayed to 2022, but that game still looks ridiculously good. Like, the animations, especially for, like, April O'Neill, I think just look fantastic for this thing. It's going to be very fun, I would imagine, if you're a fan of Brawlers. That's it. Oh, Kyle, also Horizon Forbidden West, they announced uh, delayed to February 18th, 2022. So officially. Yeah, that,
1: that was another, because uh, now the joke is that that's basically Breath of the Wild 2's release date, right? Yep. I, think, <laughs> I think Janet made that joke
0: on Twitter, right? Which oh, is perfect. Yeah, it has to be. <laughs> um, let's see. And then the weirdest thing from the entire uh, Gamescom opening night live is they ended it the effectively, the one more thing with Jeff Keighley as they were leaving, mentioning, oh, by the way, a weird thing. I'm going to be in the Muppets film, Muppets Haunted Mansion. That's coming to Disney Plus. <laughs> he said he's going to he have a Muppets, man. He's he really loves those, those frickin Muppets. Uh, and he is going to be like a head in the background or something. It's, okay. uh, you know, it's... Okay. Uh, I guess
3: if that's your platform, you know, like at the end of podcasts like this one, they're like, okay, so what are you doing? And like, make your plugs. And I guess Jeff Keighley just did his own plugs on
2: his show. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, it. Gamescom, everybody. They also showed off a ton of Death Stranding. The, the director's cut. Yeah. Director's cut, which just looks like a a completely different game and also every game now. they it's like, really They were absurd. racing cars and doing all sorts of weird shenanigans. It seems like the broad overview is for the directors
0: kind of Death Stranding, they decided to pack a bunch of fun into that game. Uh, like, what can we do to excite players? Let's put jetpacks, yeah. races, how many gimmicks can we cram into this thing?
3: So it's not so divisive. Yeah, I think I feel like that's, as someone who really liked Death Stranding when it came out, This feels like I'm not interested in any of this. And like, none of this is getting at what I wanted to do in, in Death Stranding. But I also know that like, I don't know if I'm in the minority. Like, did was that overall just a game that people do not like now, or is it like, well, we have a bunch of content that we didn't end up making, so we may as well put it out now? And like a sewage, people like people's fears of like, oh, this game is boring. There's nothing to do. All you do is run around with just like the parts that I liked. But if they're just like, well, it's got all this fun in it now. Like, will you play it now? i yeah. don't know I'm, I'm conflicted about
0: that yeah now it's a game about being alone and trying to interconnect the disconnected world but just off to the side there's basically an amusement park of wacky races if you know yeah. you're interested in that type of thing so i think thematically it'll still hold up strong um <laughs> kyle hilliard psychonauts 2 baby yeah. can we talk about this freaking thing yeah thank you yeah i where should we start?
1: I, I, I thought it was interesting that I, I, I had it pulled up, but then I closed it like a fool to look yeah. at the Doke AV trailer. But uh, you, you ran a poll, yeah. which was like, are you playing for the first time? Okay, yeah, didn't play the first game or the options, played a bit of one, I finished Psychonauts 1, I beat one in Rhombus of Ruin. I said, for specific, I'm, specifically... i beat one in Rhombus of Ruin guy, and I'm only one of 4.4% <laughs> based on that poll, which kind of like blew my mind.
0: Specifically, this is, I asked, if like you're going to jump into Psychonauts 2, like what is your history? And yeah, so based on the people that are interested in playing Psychonauts 2, 42% didn't play one, and 25% only played a bit of one. Yeah, which is crazy. So 27% finished psychonauts one so it's going to be a lot of newcomers especially with this thing on game pass It's going to be a lot of people jumping into this game and i am fascinated by what they will think of this thing but hang on just setting the table um i am nearing the end i'm like two hours away from the end of the game or so um jeff have you touched it yet oh not yet okay um,
2: it's downloading as we speak
0: Serial, have you touched it
2: i
3: have finished the first level
0: okay pretty good kyle Uh, I'm like three or four hours in.
3: Okay. It
1: has, it is, it is, it was instantly a game, uh, where my daughter stole the controller and now I can't play without her. So it's like, it's limiting how much I'm playing, which is a, which I love. Like i to be clear, like I totally love having that game to play with her. But, uh, I mean, yeah, quick, quick impression. Yeah. I love it so far. Like I am really happy with it. I love Psychonauts 1. I think it's like easily Double Fine's best game. Um, just like, I think it doesn't. Mechanically, it's like it's kind of rough. Like I went back to and played the first couple hours a few months ago. And it it's like it's tough playing a, a 30 FPS um platformer, you know, with a lot of s- specific jumping and stuff like that. Um so that element doesn't like hold up really well, but like the story and writing is like the best. And like it's one of those things where I was like, I've been excited for Psychonauts 2, but it wasn't until I was like like an hour in that I was like, oh right. I really love the structure of this game and yeah. just that. That idea of entering people's minds—it's so interesting from a story perspective to just literally see a character's psyche realized on screen as a fun playground to do platforming ventures through. It's like, like it—it it, it becomes this genuinely touching thing to learn so much about these characters while you're also really enjoying these like abstract visuals. And it's just like, it's so good. And it's like, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself here or yeah. anything, but like, it really feels like probably Double
0: Fine's like best work to date. Like it's, I really am enjoying it. It's just, it feels so amazing to have a Double Fine production on this scale. Like playing through the entire thing, it's like, God, this is so big. There's so many animations. And I don't know, honestly, if it's because I've watched so much making of stuff with Double Fine, you know, thanks to Two Player Productions uh, and the documentary crew for Broken Age and everything like that, that I'm just obsessed now with not Double Fine Productions, but Double Fine Production. And I just can't stop thinking about like, God, this is so huge compared to everything they've made since Brutal Legend, which was 2009. It's just crazy to see like that entire team take a huge swing. And just to have this new experience that is, oh, here's just a mountain of great Tim Schafer writing. Like what a luxury that we get to enjoy this. We will miss this someday. They're like, oh my God, there's so much in here.
1: So, like, it's so good because the game literally takes place like a few days after Psychonauts 1, right, right? Right. But, like, how long has it been since that game came out? What, like... like 2005? 15 years? 15 years yeah, like that. yeah. And I, there's, like, there's so many good little jokes of, like, Raz. Like, you kind of go to, like, the the sort of uh, campground in his, in his mind and he's like, my God, I haven't been here in a few days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's just so good. It's so smart. It's so funny. The puns are, like are so good. It's just like the way everything is like shaped around words related to the mind. It's just so good, man. It's so good. Yeah. Even just dumb
0: stuff like in the men, not that this is the peak of the writing or anything, but in the menu, like when you have options and the last options are always just never mind. It's like, of course that's good. like, there's a section where you're bowling. And if you put it in the gutters on the side, one of the characters says, Raz, get your mind out of the gutter.
3: I'm like, damn it. It's
0: very good. It's very (laughs) good. The main base you go
3: to is called the mother lobe. Like, it is this yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. this game is just filled with that stuff thematically. i think it's, it's And you and really... there's
1: like a power where you can see your you can see raz through the minds of other people through right. their eyes and you can and you can see how they perceive you and it's just been a joy to like literally every character to see like oh what do they think of me and like your your grandma confuses you with your older brother
0: and stuff like that. And it's just That's like, right. it's
1: so funny, you know?
0: Which that comes, comes through in the dialogue. And then yeah, the extra layer of actually seeing it through the gameplay is just mind boggling. And like, yeah, I'm totally with you, Kyle, where the more I play, the more I like it. I think at first I was too up in my head, no pun intended, just really analyzing it too much. Like, okay, is this opening working? Is the writing tight enough? I was just uh, too out of it. But then the more I've played, the more I've really enjoyed it. And just it's been this overwhelming feeling of like, oh, that's right. Just running around and collecting figments was something that was very important to me back when that first game came out. And like that's such a distinct, weird Psychonauts thing is to have these uh, figments of imagination, but just like these abstract little art pieces as the collectibles. But they're all so unique and they're also just addicting to try and find just because I want to see all of just those tiny pieces of art just thrown across all these different yeah. levels.
3: I will say it does feel like a game from 2005 in a lot of ways in that like a lot of the goal is like, okay, you get into these combat encounters, combat, combat feels better than it did in one. Oh, yeah. It doesn't feel like, you know, this super robust thing. And then I feel like, I don't know, I may be a little torn about it because it I feel like having collectibles that you have to go back to the level in order to get later feels like a cardinal sin for a level based platformer where there's like even that first level, there's distinctly a thing that you cannot do in that level right where you have to come back later uh to get a few of the collectibles which seems like like i don't know how i feel about that but you you know it depends on how easy it is to replay that stuff but yeah like just all the the way they frame all of this stuff i think is is the thing that i love about it so far
0: it's just such a weird genre to have like the kind of narrative based very narrative based platformer and i think especially coming off of like ratchet and clank rift apart where that thing is moving a mile a minute, like, go, 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 look over here, we'll tell you exactly where to go at all times, just keep going, please, and I love that game so much, but to jump back to this and be like, okay, this is a platformer, 3D platformer, but there's definitely still a lot more of those adventure game light vibes in there, right? Just the amount of dialogue you're going to be going through, there's going to be a handful of moments of just confusion about what what do you want me to do here, game? Okay, there's some logic I didn't quite piece together. It's definitely dragging it down every once in a while of I've just been staring at the screen going, what? It, you're referencing something I clearly do not understand right now. So there's still definitely those, I don't know, hiccups every once in a while in the flow. But that's, I think, part of the charm of Psychonauts, because it does feel so much like that first game in some really wonderful ways.
3: Yeah, it, I, like obviously I've only played about an hour or so, but it, I, it is nice to some degree to play a game that doesn't feel like it's been modernized, where it's like, oh, i like... Maybe there is a crafting system, but, like, I like that there's no, like, okay, here's a skill, here's Raz's skill tree, or, like, here's, like, a, a crafting system, you know, like, that it doesn't feel like, well, well, we clearly need to update this so that it fits modern standards, and this is what that means. Like, so far, I feel like them just doing Psychonauts but more refined is working for me, but, I, you know, we'll yeah. see how that goes.
0: Yeah, I think the game's development is fascinating and i cannot wait for whatever form a documentary takes from two-player productions whenever they decide to release it but i mean that's if we're being honest that's my most anticipated piece of media for the rest of 2021 is or maybe 2022 whenever they release the documentary about the making of this thing um, this comes out you can die like oh <laughs> honestly really yeah I have, uh, oh yeah. i'm so excited for it um but i think it's such a fascinating idea because it started out as a fig crowdfunding thing right so this game was very much made for this like for the fans. This is a game for the fans. And now it's gone on such a long journey. It's been development for so long. I mean, they announced it back in 2015, where it was eventually published by Starbreeze for a bit. Starbreeze kind of fell apart, then Microsoft came in and bought Double Fine. And so now Microsoft has to like position this thing as hey, it's a platformer for everybody but at its heart it is very much like fan service for the handful of people who played this game back in the day for the original psychonauts
3: it's so interesting to see the condition like the this game's development history too because it almost feels like double fine pitching microsoft on what that company can look like under them where it's like here's this big project that is like the scope of maybe what you can get If you continue funding us at this level, you know, like they already have a project ready to go. That is like, here is Double Fine. Here's like a big game from Double Fine. Right. Versus if that hadn't been funded, it would just be like, well, we have all these disparate smaller projects. Can you do a big, a big one? And it's like right off the bat, we have an example that shows what we can do. It
0: might take longer than the average studio of that size, maybe to crank out something. I mean, it's been six years, but I mean, it started from scratch with the crowdfunding. So that's a little bit hairy. But um, yeah, it, it seems... Like an interesting path then for, okay, Double Fine can either focus on making more small games, kind of the Amnesia Fortnite model of making these smaller games, which I think Microsoft would want them to go in. And I'm sure that studio also wants to go in after spending so much time trying to create this huge production. But just so Microsoft can have more small games to kind of pad out Game Pass, it seems like the way they'd want them to go. But it is cool, you're right, just to have this ready to go. I will say, like, just as a fan of Double Fine, like, I they're
1: so good at, like, world building and character that I do prefer these big projects. I like Psychonauts 1 and 2 and Brutal Legend. I love those games. I like their smaller games. I think they're enjoyable and they're, you know, but, like, I just, I when they take the time to, like, really showcase their writing and really lean on how interesting their characters can be, which takes a large experience, like, I... I would rather they do that. I mean, I, I don't think they will in the short term, but like, yeah, I would love for them to jump into another big project. Like, that's what I
0: would like from them. But we'll yeah. see. Do you think, um, it has to be, right? This game, I cannot stress this enough, is weird. It is, the art is bizarre. It has a lot of dark turns in it. It is a very weird game. I was thinking like, this has to be the weirdest Microsoft published game, Right. Microsoft Studio game. Is there any game that can compete just on the level of how bonkers this thing is?
3: You like for very different reasons, I would point to Microsoft Flight Simulator as like <laughs> the other one <laughs> because it is <laughs> the exact opposite. But it is also like in the current gaming landscape, it feels like an oddity for very. Okay, different reasons. all right. I, I how guess about, so. Uh,
1: Armed and dangerous from two thousand three.
0: That's up there. That's probably number two, I think. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think yeah, there's going to be...
1: It, it, you had, a, you had a, a gun that shot a shark in that
0: game. Okay, that's up there. Some of these minds later on, especially, are pretty absurd, though. Um, but I think there's going to be millions of people that jump into this game on Game Pass and are just dumbfounded I'm like, what is this? Like, I cannot imagine being, like, a kid and jumping into this game, just having no idea, of like, what is this sequel to some old game. I can't understand any of this. And so they do set things up a little bit of like, here's the story before. Um, But even with that, there's going to be a lot of moments of like, if you don't remember that first game uh, very well, uh, there's going to be a lot of moments of like, wait, were these characters in the first one? Okay, this is new. What is that referencing? It is very much made for fans as much as I'm sure they would love to pitch it as it's a great entry point. I think it works as a great platformer now. That's a very fun story. But it is very clearly made as a huge love letter to fans of the original. Um Kyle I yeah. w- want to know what your daughter thinks of this thing.
1: Oh she likes it a lot so far. Oh yeah. good. I mean like I said I can't I can't she's
0: playing it like she was she's all in. So is it um are you doing like a whole lesson of like this is a game Daddy used to like back in the day and it was a little bit like this or is it just you letting uh, it run with no, it as like I a mean, own thing? She,
1: we we played the first one a little bit. Mostly it's been like 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 you know he went into the circus and he was like oh I remember this place I'm glad it's not made of meat right, right and then I'm there to be like okay well in the first game when you entered your own mind there was a meat circus your dad was there blah 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 and so like that's but I mean otherwise like it's you know. The, the, conceptually the game is very smart like I don't think you, I, I almost like uh, go against you when you say like kids are going to be like what is this because yeah. it's like it makes sense you go into people's minds and you see their personalities and that's a level like it's not like it's weird but like the nice thing about Psychonauts is like the concept makes sense you know what I mean it's not right. like confusing really it's just strange
0: and maybe I'm uh, not giving yeah, so that's that's where we're at oh nice maybe I'm not giving kids enough credit too but I just imagine like some of the character designs like they were, <laughs> they are wild characters. Have you designs. watched any
1: children's television or movies in the last?
0: No, years. no. What's going They're on used there? To weird looking stuff. Oh, okay. Like this weird, like these character designs. They were bizarre back in the day, and now to see like amazing hd versions of these lovable freaks it's it's really something else man
1: yeah i mean just look at Leica. you know i feel like those all are Leica characters you know which are loosely like tim burton-esque right you know, heritage with nightmare before christmas director making Coraline and stuff
0: yeah oh so. yeah i guess that's true um music is also fantastic uh i think that I don't know if Peter McConnell gets enough credit for how important he is for Tim Schaefer's work. Like, he's composed almost all of Tim Schaefer's games. It reminds me of, like, the background music in 30 Rock. Like, quietly, incredibly important to that show's vibe. And, like, all of Peter McConnell's work throughout Psychonauts and just Tim Schaefer's games is just incredible. And this one, yeah, it's, it's so good. Is
1: Schaefer also, is he married to McConnell? Excuse
0: me? That's
1: a, that's a 30 Rock joke because Tina Fey's husband does all the music.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. I think they are. Um, oh, okay. We'll see you later, Kyle. Oh. Um, also, uh, fun fact that I think it's easy to overlook. Uh, there is a map in this game. It's in the menu. I did not open it up until hour 10. It's like, oh, each area actually has a map. That seems very important to actually know. Uh, and then also, I mentioned this in some live stream and people were like, what? It's, it's out on PS4 and PC. There's no PlayStation 5 version, but there's a PS4 version. Last gen versions run at 30, so you'll have that same wonderful experience of playing a platformer at 30, Kyle. Uh, but it is out on PlayStation, because they did promise that for the whole crowdfunding campaign, so it's amazing that Microsoft carried through with that. Um, here's something I really want to know, and then we'll stop talking about Psychonauts, Jeff. I promise. Mm-hmm. I would love to know like how this whole thing worked with Fig, which is the crowdfunding platform that it was funded with, a big part of that is that, hey, you can be an investor. If you're an investor in this game, you can help the production of it. And then also you get money based on how much money the game
2: receives
0: when it releases. And so I don't know how that works with Game Pass. Like that is just another layer to the finances of Game Pass that I would love more insight on. So if you are a you know, on the uh, investment side of Psychonauts 2, and you funded it back with Fig. If you have any insight into how that works and what you received when, I would love to know how that works because it's probably just some big lump sum just to try and get that all the way and make it a clean transition for Microsoft, but I don't know what that looks like. Anyways, weird stuff. Uh, oh, here we go. Aaron T says, I believe someone in the live stream said those investors were paid out when Double Fine was acquired that's interesting oh interesting yeah i guess that Makes makes sense yeah huh i'm curious how that still worked tell me how much you made basically is what i'd like to know um but psychonauts 2 very much looking forward to to wrapping it up it's a yeah it's it is a game that is a miracle that it exists like that's what i keep thinking about as i'm playing it i mean the first game should not have happened it is so weird it was almost canceled 30 times then they managed to create this sequel. I feel like we kind of take for granted that, oh, everything old will come back, yada, yada, yada. But like the fact that Psychonauts 2 is a game that we're playing now is yeah. a Hail Mary that Double Fine is still a studio cranking out stuff like this. It's just Especially- amazing.
3: Considering where that game came from, from Majesco at some point. Like, right. Not, I don't think we're not going to see another Advent Rising. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. That's not coming back.
0: Exactly. So enjoy this, Majesco fans. Um, but yeah, we'll probably be talking about Psychonauts 2 more in the future, I would imagine. Um, but also,
3: Advent Rising.
0: <laughs> oh, and Advent Rising. I look forward to the next Deepest dive. Um, But yeah, also, I uh, should mention uh, Peter McConnell, the composer for uh, Psychonauts 2, Grim Fandango. Uh, a lot of great games Thursday his day. He also was the composer for Hearthstone originally, um, but he is the next guest on Crossfade, our music podcast. So you can subscribe to Crossfade and your favorite podcast app. It's hosted by Matt Helgeson. And so if you want to hear the composer of Psychonauts and Brutal Legend and Grim Fandango, uh, talk about Jimi Hendrix. Uh, the Crossfade oh, yes. podcast is the one for you, so check that out. And the last episode was the composer of Hades talking all about the Beatles, and Matt Helgeson also talks about Queens of the Stone Age, so check out Crossfade, and leave a review, we'd appreciate it. Um, Kyle, you been playing more Ghost of Tsushima? Yeah. Uh
1: forget what the island is called. Iki? Iki I- Island.
0: Yeah, I-K-I. Yeah,
1: but it's uh, yeah, it's the director's cut, and the nice thing is like if you played it on PS4, what I was able to do was just take my save over to the PlayStation 5 version and yeah. then just go access that new content. You know what I mean? It's not like behind a weird wall. I think you do have to have beaten the game to access it, but like it's something I was able to jump right into, which was nice. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it, and there's always that learning curve of like going back to an old game, which I'm encountering. I'm definitely getting my ass kicked. And then there's a lot of like, I, I, I'm the ghost of Tsushima. Like I'm, I'm much more talented with a sword than this, but, um, it's really great. Like it's huge. It really feels like um uh like uncharted like lost legacy or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of scale of like not a full sequel but like a lot of stuff. And it's like it's it, there's it, you know there's the classic Ghost of Tsushima gameplay which is great, but there's also like all kinds of new animals to interact with on the island and it also uh just from the storyline, it also delves a lot more into your relationship with your dad, which is something that's huh. very crucial to the the core game. very much, you know, just sort of this thing in the past, because mostly it's about your relationship with your uncle, but now you really get to see uh, Sakai as like a kid, and what it was like to interact with his dad, because you're actually on the island where your father was killed, where you witnessed him being killed in war, so that's like bringing up a lot of memories, and you're like, you get poisoned early on in the game, which makes you have these hallucinations throughout the whole course of the story. And so, like, you'll just be, like, in the middle of a mission and everything just goes, like, fuzzy and crazy and dark and weird. And you can hear your father, like, complaining to you about your um, things that you don't trust about, the things you don't like about yourself. And, like, I'm really digging it. It's been awesome. To, it just feels like I'm, ju- I'm jumping into, like, a pseudo Ghost of Tsushima sequel. Like, it really is a lot. If you like Ghost of Tsushima, like, absolutely worth checking out. Like, Totally.
0: Okay, dumb question. Is this only in the PlayStation 5 version for the Director's Cut or did Director's Cut come out on PS4 as well?
1: I believe it's on PS4 as well. Okay. The way it works is like you can you can just you can upgrade your copy to the director's cut version for like I think it's like 20 bucks or something like
0: that. Okay, so it's just a so like, Yeah.
1: It's kinda like it it's weird because it really is ostensibly just buying DLC but they've made it feel different by calling it like the director's cut version. Right, it just feels a little right. different, even though, it, I mean, it really is just buying, like spending some money to have a whole bunch of new ghost of Tsushima game, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, And I imagine it looks a lot better on PS five. Um, God, you know,
1: I won't, I won't say that I'm like, like, wow, PlayStation five changes everything yeah. because that game is already was so gorgeous and it loaded so quickly as it was like on a PlayStation four. But I mean, you know, the frame rates improved. It's at a 60 now and like it it still looks great. It's it, it, it's awesome. Like I you know, the place it it, it it was a testament to how good it already looked that the PlayStation 5 version isn't like blowing my socks off as much as it's like okay, this this mechanically feels better, but uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. And just to be clear, Sony sent us a code for Gojo Satoru director's cut, but that code was sent to Leo. <laughs> because sony's very big but you have to disclose this and so leo's also yeah. going to be playing it but uh he wasn't on this episode so it's a weird I, thing. I actually
1: went and bought like a physical copy because i wanted to have like um i like that game so much yeah like, i think it's like one of my favorite games of the last uh you know of this early i don't know last couple of years so i wanted to have a physical copy so i got the director's cut
0: yeah, copy yeah that's bought. nice go to the director's cut everybody uh jeff how are how you feeling good great cyril how are you feeling Feeling good. Okay, good. Uh, people watching us live in the Backstage Pass Chat have been bracing for an impact. Uh, Surreal Vasquez, would you like to tell us a story about your life?
3: Uh, Sure. I, do you want me to just cut to it? <laughs> yeah, just get okay, to the good stuff, get, man. Okay. So, Start
2: when you were a kid. Yeah.
3: Uh, So when I was a kid... What
2: was your birth was like, Surreal? What
3: was my birth like? Yeah. Um, It was actually pretty different. Uh... <laughs> than most i don't remember it uh no uh so the the long the long and short of it is that uh i am stepping down as a MinMax max cohort uh at the end of this month which makes this my last episode of the min max show podcast um uh it's kind of hard to, like i don't know where to go from here uh mostly uh so basically in the last few months or so, I've been getting more, uh, freelance consulting work, uh, in the game industry, uh, which has been pretty satisfying and I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, but as I've gotten more and more work, it's just been harder and harder to keep up with MinMax and kind of dedicate myself to it as much as I would like. And as much as I feel like the community deserves. Um, and so that also is somewhat compounding because, as I consult on more games, it becomes harder to talk about them on this show. Um, so those two kind of things have kind of compounded to kind of, you know, put, um, put me in, a, in an odd spot, so to speak. And so I've kind of made the tough decision to step down. And it was a really hard thing. I've basically been thinking about it for, you know, the last few months um, and how I I could make it work. And ultimately, I decided this was maybe the, the, the cleanest way to do it. Um, but I, I do, uh, I am going to miss uh podcasting with you guys at midmax. So I'm gonna miss everyone here. Um the, the community has been incredible. Uh it is it has been nothing short of of amazing to be part of this. Um but for for the time being I I I am not gonna be on the show uh as a regular anymore but you know you'll you'll probably still catch me on the occasional, you know, max spoilers, you know, uh, you know, maybe a deepest dive here and there. But um in, in terms of my regular ongoing involvement, uh I am stepping down on that front. And so Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's never easy to get these things across. I haven't, I've, I've listened to so many of these, but, uh, they undersell how hard it is to do this stuff.
0: Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, Suriel. First of all, congratulations on the consulting going full-time. Well done. Thank you. Appreciate it. Finding a full-time job. Um, correct me if I'm wrong though, but the best way to phrase it in my mind is like, you'll be on less min-max stuff. Like, you know, you kind of will be in that guest spot where you can pop up like you know your comparison was like oh like a jacob geller level of like popping up every once in a while on content just not the regular cohort role yeah just
3: not not on a weekly basis but you know like i'm i'm like on that roster let's say of people that are you know, that that guest on shows whenever it's like, hey, I really want to talk about this stuff, you know? Right. And so because if that makes more sense on like in the, on an individual basis than like having to keep up on a weekly basis, which is hard to do when this is this has been pretty time consuming. And also of like, there's just going to be games that I can't talk about. Anymore. You know, that that like there are going to be pretty conspicuous games. Um, right. that I won't be able to talk about uh, even in the coming, let, let's say next few months. Oh, um, very so interesting. I think it makes the most sense for me to just be a lot more you know pick and choose about uh what kind of content i'm
2: on yeah so, you're, uh, you're working on doke v aren't you so uh, yeah Ooh, so it's so
3: very weird that we talked about that and that i had, it was revealed to me so <laughs> it's, it's been weird to work on that game uh, No, i uh, uh i just to be clear i've not done any consulting on that game i would not, I, I would not be so jokey about that like the contracts you have to sign uh it's weird um but yes i i, I will still be on min just in kind of a more you know uh, select capacity. Yes.
0: Capacity. Chris Chris Logan put it well watching us live at the Backstage Pass tier. He said shifting from cohort to friend of the show tier. Like yeah. if you go to Minmax's official site, which is just minmax.com, we'd have a, a list of like friends of the show. And so technically I'll be copying and pasting your profile and lowering it down to to friends of the show territory. Yeah. Um, but like we'll still need you to come up and finish perfect weapon on PlayStation one at some mm-hmm. point.
3: So you yeah, can't get out fun. of that. That was part of my contract is you have to finish perfect weapon. That's um, right. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I just want to thank the community. You guys have been amazing. I want to thank you, Ben for, for how, uh, you know, starting this whole thing and having me on, uh, and I want to thank Kyle and Jeff, and everyone else who's been on the show on a regular basis. It has been, uh, an incredible experience. I'm, I'm going to miss the heck out of you guys. You know, I'm also being slack and stuff, making dumb jokes and emojis oh. and stuff, but, um, but yeah, the, the uh, it's It's been a fun ride, but, and I'm going to miss it. But, yeah. you know, I figured this was the the best way to move forward.
0: Yeah. The good news is that you don't have to miss it. You can always come back <laughs> whenever yeah. you want in any capacity that works for you. Yeah, we were we were very lucky to have you for this long, for an outlet that can't afford to have everybody on full time. Uh, we've been very lucky to keep you on as much stuff as we can because you're a very talented and very smart guy. Um, yeah, and I think, like, on the consulting thing, you know, when we first were talking about this serial, I was in the camp of like, oh, can't, I mean, can't you just say like, ah, I can't talk about this game because I consulted on it. And so I'll just not speak during the section when we're doing Game of the Year debates and stuff like that, because obviously you wouldn't want to weigh in on mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, and and you mentioned that like, ah, it, like it's so different, like most of these contracts that you have to sign, you can't even reveal that you consulted on this stuff after the game's yeah. already
3: out, which is... It's not like I can step on a landmine and say, like, well, it's, this is, like, surprise, everybody. I can't even do that.
0: Right, right. right. And, like, so um. there's that idea of, like, if we're doing Game of the Year debates and you were just silent during three big games, and would be like, okay, I <laughs> think we know what's yeah. happening here. And that sucks. It sucks to have a podcast where everybody can't just be open and honest about their opinions on all these games. So it's, yeah. you know, it's doing a disservice to the community at yeah. a certain But way. if we're
3: like doing a max spoilers on a thing that right. I can consult on, then it's like full game. We can talk about whatever. Right. So yeah. I think that that is definitely that works a lot better and is more doable.
0: For sure. And we'd love to have you on for community questions or entire episodes of the podcast in the future, whenever you would have time if you would uh be interested in such a thing. Um, so yeah, it's a it is a Thank you, surreal moment more than a goodbye, surreal moment. Oh,
3: no, but yeah, thanks. Thanks, everyone. I, I cannot emphasize enough how how my, I, I I've lurked on that discord for for a long time. um, And, you know, seeing that that outpouring positivity as being being in other discords as well. Like it, it is it stands out how how great that like the min max discord in particular is in terms of like, oh, I like there are so many regulars. Uh, and which is the best thing I can say of just like that everyone 's really nice everyone 's really welcoming, and anytime someone joins you know people are really really nice to them, uh but it doesn 't feel so big that it 's like oh, what am I getting into here it 's like you you can look at that place for a day and feel like you ha- you are familiar enough with people to you know reply to someone or you know kind of introduce yourself so yeah um yeah like i I feel like with with it this being a patreon thing, and you in some ways you you were kind of paying uh me like he, like i'm I'm kind of talking to them right like as a like a hey uh, I think, you know, uh, you guys are going to kill it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I can't. I appreciate all the support throughout the last couple of years. So, yeah, thanks, thank you to everyone.
0: That's very sweet. Um, yeah, we should mention that we like having six cohorts. So we're going to bring somebody else on. Obviously, Serial irreplaceable, but we will be replacing you with somebody. And But yeah. the catch is we will be forcing them to go by the name Surreal Vasquez. That's yeah. true. Uh, like,
3: There's just so many. It makes it so much easier to just not have to swap out any of that copy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have the whole intro to the podcast written out. And so I don't really want to have to tweak it. But yeah, uh, yeah. we'll be bringing be somebody on my
3: Slack account, you know, my email. Uh, we're, we are hiring a new cereal basket is the thing that you're going <laughs> to post on. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm I, I we've already talked about one or two people. But like it's it's been it's been really cool to. Like, I, I like that. That is part of It's just like giving someone else who can who yeah. has the passion and the ability to do this. Uh, the opportunity to step up in that regard is is exciting. You know, yeah. I, I'm excited to see to have a new voice on for sure.
0: For sure. Yeah. And no, no direct timeline for that. But uh, you can look forward to it. All right. Hey, uh, smooth transition. Hey everybody, if you appreciate the show, you can support it or join it over at patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. That's what makes this whole thing operate, especially the bigger supporters, big podcast supporters like Lucas. He wants everybody to know, he says, Lucas, a fellow patron wants you to check out his YouTube channel, Fatal X Blade. So head on over to YouTube, type in Fatal X Blade with two spaces, Fatal X Blade, everybody, two spaces. His YouTube channel is primarily focused on highly edited reviews on the newest games. Each review features a short parody at the beginning of each video, Currently, he's working on a review for Assassin's Creed Valhalla while waiting on Aliens Fireteam Elite and Psychonauts 2 to come out at the end of the month. It's out now, Lucas. I'm- yeah, jump in. So head on over and check out some of his videos and subscribe to Fatal X Blade and leave him a comment. Yeah it's free as Jeff likes to say jump over there leave a comment in one of his videos it can make his day also thank you to our dear friends at i am 8-bit they want you to know about dust biters which is described as a quick and furious card game about rival car gangs racing to outrun a giant dust storm it is a two-player card game from developers uh, from former game developers that have worked on stuff like minute nuclear throne general jousting sludge life um, I love it, Jeffem, because I love the idea of these really smart game developers being like, I've always wanted to make just a two-player card game, and having that passion and that intelligence boiling down to this relatively simple, super smart piece of game design is fantastic. Uh, each, each game takes 15 minutes to play, and Jeffem, I'd imagine you're like me, where like, finding a good two-player card game or board game is surprisingly difficult, is it not?
2: Not necessarily, uh, if you play enough of them, but it, you can never, you can never have enough good two-player games like that. And honestly, for sure,
0: Dustbiters—they uh, sent a copy over, which is very generous of them. Uh, it is my current favorite two-player uh, card game. I tried going to Jeffum's house to play it, um, and he said, "That's weird. I don't want you to hang out in my backyard." But I will happily check out at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, they have a Kickstarter video for Dustbiters, and Tim Schaefer. Creative director for Psychonauts 2 is in there uh, and he has a quote about this game where he says I didn't make this game but I played it and I love it so if it's good enough for Tim Schaefer, it's good enough for you okay. so head on over to dustbiters.com you can support the Kickstarter campaign but it is ending very very soon so if you want to help support this thing before it launches basically just buy a copy through Kickstarter you can go to dustbiters.com you'll have all the info there but thanks to I'm 8 bit for lining that whole thing up I really enjoyed the game um, and I'm 8 bit really enjoys all of you listeners and viewers uh, to the point that they are up for shipping out a wonderful prize from their wonderful online store each and every week to the question of the week, the best question submitted over at patreon.com slash minmax with two ends, And so the best question this week will win a Nintendo switch copy, physical copy of untitled goose game. Untitled Goose Game, everybody, goes to the best question of the week. Thank you i IM8Bit for shipping that out. You can go to their wonderful online store and use the promo code CATFISH. One word, CATFISH, for uh, 10% off everything under $100. All right, should we get to these community questions? But let's do it. I feel like we're not going to hear enough from Surreal during this section. So if we could just like do anything to make it so that Surreal is highlighted more, like you me, know,
3: if we removed one of the other people,
0: then it's in, like a relative
3: amount. That's interesting.
0: But
2: who would we remove is the question. it sure actually. Be,
1: I volunteer because I'm I'm taking Serial's announcement very personally. Oh, and I'm oh, obs- I'm mad about it. So I need to go
0: oh. and and stew oh. for a while. <laughs> okay, go get a stew going. Bye, Kyle. Thanks for joining us. Cyril I'm just kidding. Yeah, I love you, and I'm proud. I'm of gonna you. miss you, man. Bye, Bye Kyle. Yeah. Patrick Polk writes in, and he says, oh, no, the prompt has me worried, um, Surreal, um, when I was looking for questions, and I posted mm-hmm. on Patreon looking for questions for this episode, I didn't want to reveal it, so I just listed what we're talking yeah. about, and one of the things that we were talking about I just listed is, uh, describe your favorite thing about Surreal. So anyways, Patrick Polk writes in, and he says, oh, no, the prompt has me worried, Surreal is leaving or something, I really enjoy... <laughs> Uh, I really enjoy Serial's depth of knowledge and his humor, but definitely my favorite thing is his unwavering loyalty to Midmax and his permanent place as a cohort. <laughs> so, <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, Brian D. Rubel writes in and says, With the rise of Game Pass, do you think we could see more small projects from large developers owned by Microsoft? It could be good for Microsoft as they get to advertise a game by a well-known studio more often and developers could create a palette cleanser between long projects and try out weird ideas. What developer would you like to see a small game from? I do think that's going to be a strategy. Like, why create this Wasteland 3 experience of, like, this 100-hour thing when you could just have all these talented studios making five-hour experiences for Game Pass? No one's going to be angry about the price.
3: Yeah, I feel like Microsoft, like, if you have that subscription model, uh, you know, like long tail where you see Netflix, like, well, we only even need them to sign up once. So it's like, if you here's an exciting announcement, it runs for two seasons, it's kind of done its job. Right. Uh, so yeah something like i i wrote a thing earlier actually this year about how the medium is like the perfect game pass game because it it is a a game that you can finish uh but you know most people will probably take a week or so but at that point it's like you're kind of in the ecosystem and it's a small project right Um, so like just the idea of like uh yeah make, make a game that is smaller in scope and and I, I have to imagine, like like a lot of studios would jump at the chance of like we specifically don't want this game to be too big because we want it to be a smaller investment. I think is might be pretty appealing to a lot of studios, maybe not everyone, but uh, someone like Double Fine, I think, is like pretty practiced in that field. So it's like maybe the next game after Psychonauts Two is actually something smaller while they
2: while they work on something bigger, you know? Yeah, and I, I think it allows developers to be more experimental with what they're making, and I think that that size of games i think the other one that i've been playing recently 12 minutes is another perfect game pass type of game yeah and and i think i think those games feel like they kind of have an outsized value within a game pass ecosystem where it's it's something that i probably wouldn't have given much thought to and i probably wouldn't have purchased but when i see something like that it's like oh yeah that looks really interesting because it's different so i'm going to download it now and play it and so i'm sure to microsoft like if they can make a a bunch of different experiences that are that are different and more experimental, but you don't have to worry about, you know, if they're going to sell millions of copies, but if they add that kind of extra value to Game Pass, I'm sure that's super enticing for them, yeah.
3: too. And it almost deflects, like, one of the common arguments about those games, where it's like, well, I paid $30 for two hours or whatever. Like, Yeah. It's just, well, I played it on Game Pass for four days, so, like, the, the cost is a lot murkier and you're already paying it, so... Like, yeah, like it it kind of allows you to jump into games more readily and be more receptive to like, well, I actually just like the game. I don't I'm not making that cost analysis about my time with this game.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even a studio that they now own, I mean, even like an arcane, you know, Redfall seems big and ambitious, you know, but like I wouldn't mind just seeing like. What the developers at Arcane would like to do in some sort of game jam like capacity, like give me just a two hour Arcane game twice a year till the end of time, just to get some of those ideas out there because it's such a creative studio. Yeah, there's definitely a,
3: a lot of potential for studios where it's like, oh, like maybe they didn't succeed on like when they tried to make the transition from like small team from like small creative team to large. Like, well, everything has to be super big. Like this app offers an alternative that I think has been proving to be more and more viable as time goes on. Because I think, like, I don't think game, I can't imagine that Game Pass has done anything but like big numbers for Microsoft at this point.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and also, I mean, Microsoft it wants a lot of announcements for what's coming into Game Pass that's new, right? So you don't want every developer to be a Bethesda where you're going to work on a game for six years before yeah. it finally comes out.
3: Like, like the long tail service model is almost antithetical to Game Pass.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: Solo writes in and asks, "What is the most stuck?" You've been in a game. Was it because of a challenge or a puzzle? Did you succeed or fail? Goodbye. Goodbye, Solo. Most stuck you've ever been in a
3: game. Uh I very specifically remember being stuck in uh the Legend of Zelda Phantom hourglass.
1: Mm. There's
3: a puzzle in it where you have to get something stamped. Right. And I have n I had no clue. I pressed like every button, went to this guy multiple times, like did everything and like just everything shy of just looking it up. I spent like maybe two days and I was like, I need to keep plugging my DS in because I need to charge the battery and like, I don't know what's going to happen. And then I realized that like, I just had not closed my DS in that entire duration of time. And that's literally all you have to do is close and open the DS for it to stamp. That's so. And I was so mad when I when I just when I saw like a guy that said like, yeah, I just close your DS and open it. It's as simple as that. And I was like, <laughs> I was so ready to throw my DS at that point. So it they was, don't give you any hint in weird. that game that you actually have to physically close that? I, th- I think it might just be a thing where it's like the bottom screen is like uh, the, the place where you write your notes or whatever. And I think that's where the piece of paper is. And on the ta- uh, I think on the top screen is like some visage of a stamp or something. Mm. So I think the clue is just like and also it's like mathematically you're just gonna at some point close the ds it's not like it's right, really possible right. to figure out but like, yeah it just did not click with me at all so that was <laughs> that was weird
0: i think i talked about this one before but i was so stuck in final fantasy 8 there's a section in the desert where i would go and it was like a gate and guards like would not let me in and I could not figure out why. And I'd look at all of the walkthroughs and they, and they all would say, just go into this town, just go into this town and the next story event happens. And I just could not figure out what the hell was going on. And so when I exhausted every walkthrough and nobody knew, and I tried asking my friends that had played and nobody knew, uh, my strategy was, I'm like, okay, well, I was really into ICQ at the time, like the chat program. Were you into ICQ Jeffem?" I, I had an ICQ. Yeah. All right, great. I got my ICQ number burned into my soul. Um, and so my strategy was, okay, I will find a Final Fantasy VIII fan on ICQ and ask them. So I was searching for people with the name Squall Leonhardt uh, and, like, other characters from Final Fantasy VIII. And I found this guy, and he did know exactly what I should do, which was very helpful. And he was some guy from Turkey. And it turns out what I was doing wrong was... I was supposed to be driving the car from Final Fantasy VIII into this town, but I had ran out of gas in the car, like, on the other side of the continent, and I didn't want to drive it anyway, so I was trying to walk in there instead of driving. Anyways, and then it was like, oh, this is, like, my Turkish pen pal. I would talk to him, and then I sent him to, like, Ronnie back in the day, like, hey, check out my Turkish friend. And I remember years later, Ronnie being like, uh, yeah, I was talking to that guy. I think he might be a Nazi. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, he started talking about politics, and I think he's, like, literally a Nazi. I was like, I don't think that's the case. So then I just stopped talking to that gentleman, but apparently we had never veered into any territory other than video games, and uh, I accidentally befriended a Nazi. So we all, we all make mistakes in our youth. Well, there you go. Uh, Jeff, uh, uh, Do, do yeah, you befriend a Nazi?
2: What? Nothing. What's your game? Uh, mine was Cuphead, and there I got stuck on one boss that... I played it I played it and played it for so long that my my wife had fallen asleep on the couch and she woke up like 4 hours later and she was like are you still uh, like doing the same thing and that like that was a revelation to me because I was just pissed for like 4 hours trying to beat this one freaking boss <laughs> and the and the, I gave up at that point and I've you, never gone back but I've always felt bad awkward. about it because uh it, I think it, it, there, you had to jump on clouds as the you dragon were one. It. Yep,
3: that is that is that was my big uh, and it uh, it
2: it sucked so bad because part of it was just like there were random patterns to whatever projectiles it was <laughs> shooting at you or whatever, and it felt it felt very cheap and unfair. It, it wasn't like I can I can learn the pattern of this and then get through it. You know, like Ninja Gaiden or whatever. It, it was, right. There was just some random element to it that I just could never get past and. If I've always you, felt bad about it because it's such a gorgeous game, but I you hate should.
0: It. If you ever want to feel really bad about yourself, you should look up a speedrun of Cuphead. Because it oh, is I'm just sure. mind-boggling. Like, they're not doing anything that crazy. They just know the spot to be. And it turns out, is that game actually easy? It'll convince you that it's an easy game. Then you go back to it and you'll get crushed all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, the Uncharted Wolf writes in and says, Hey, cohorts, considering y'all uh, use different streaming services, including for gaming, which one do y'all use the most? Well, I
3: love HBO Max, I find myself always returning to Netflix. I think uh, I, I've been using a lot of HBO Max, but I think my favorite one might actually be Tubi. Tubi? Tubi. What? Yeah. Tubi? Um, yeah, because it's, well, for one, it's free. And two, I like I, this is a surprising thing that I did not realize was actually a thing you had to learn how to, do, well, that could be done poorly, is like ad breaks. They're really good about their ad breaks because it is, they time them specifically between scenes. And, like, obviously, because it is one video file, it's like, okay, here's the end of a scene. Yeah. They, the scene starts and then you get the ad. But um, watching Crunchyroll, it's just like they don't care about that stuff at all. Like, most other services with ads just place them at like certain points Trash. in the video file and it sucks. Yeah. And, like, between that, like that, it feels like, okay, they're actually like maybe doing this by hand, which is really cool. And, B, like, usually it's like they have they they kind of have been like okay if a lot of streaming services don't have this obscure movie then Tubi probably has it because it's like they're paying they're they are paying they they do not have any of the like the major stuff but it's like if you're kind of looking for more obscure stuff but isn't like criterion obscure or whatever um like they're kind of in that mid-range of like you know like a, a, a takashi miike film is going to be on there which is you know um not a thing you see on a lot of services so it's it's like it it it's not, like, the best streaming service, but it's, like, the one that I'm kind of, like, rooting for most because it feels like, huh. okay, it's free. I can just go and watch and see whatever is on. And, it like, yeah, I like to be a surprising amount. Random
0: Gamer, watching us live at the Backstage past year, uh he says, I like Tubi a lot, T-U-B-I. How else can I watch Lady in the Water for free? Well, if they have Lady in the Water there.
3: Free is the right price to pay. If you're going to pay mm-hmm. a price for Lady in the Water, like, <laughs> may as well, like, it's, it, it's like, the amount of... uh. T- Think Like movies you can see like, well, it's free. You might as well watch it. Like right. e- even when you're, because when you're on Netflix, it's like, yeah, but it's like, there's also, is like, well, I could be spending my time better, you know, with this subscription or whatever. So,
0: right, yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, probably HBO Max for me, but I have been watching a lot of Netflix stuff just because I've been going through the seasons of Alone that are on Netflix. Jeff, have you ever watched Alone? What's that one about? It's about being alone. It's uh, basically hardcore survivor. Uh, where people are just dropped off. They have to be their own camera crew and they're completely by themselves and they have to build up their own little forts and stuff, little little houses. And it is bonkers. There are moments on that show where it's like, this is genuinely the craziest thing I've ever seen <laughs> on TV. Like a guy shot a musk ox in the Arctic with one arrow. And so he only had the one arrow for some reason. So the musk ox was like bleeding, like, like stumbling around, but not dying and so this guy just strapped with a GoPro then takes out his knife and is running up and trying to like stab a musk Oxidex, which to death, which is huge. Like this huge animal that could so easily kill him. And he's just running in and taking a quick stab, then backing away. It's like, how is this on TV? This is like yeah. a jackass stunt. It is so insane.
3: And
2: that feels and like you one like,
0: step you like-
3: from the most dangerous game. <laughs>
0: yes. Like, oh yeah. What if
3: you pitted in two people against each other? Then that's just
2: it.
0: That. That's yeah. the next season I hope of alone, but mm-hmm. it is, it is an <laughs> awesome show.
2: You gotta watch it, Jeffem. I I prefer not watching people torture animals to death.
0: Well, it's for survival. He he literally will lose a million dollars if he doesn't kill those guys.
3: That excuse.
0: (laughs) It is it is very gnarly. It is rough to watch at times uh, for the amount of animals that they're skinning and all that stuff. So,
2: your discretion advice, Jeffem. You're all in on Tubi? Uh, No, probably probably Netflix still. I, there's just such a ridiculous amount of content, and that I've never even heard of. And it's like, oh, every famous star is in this thing that was made like last year, uh-huh. and just no one's ever even heard of it. <laughs> um, but props to Disney Plus too, surprisingly. Of course,
0: of
1: course. Because it's
2: like, yeah, okay, I'll I'll rewatch every Marvel movie ever made. Yeah,
0: yeah. Why not? I uh, they have um, up there now. An episode of what do they call it star wars gallery but it's all about without spoiling it uh the creation of the final episode of the second season of the mandalorian and i realized like up there with two player productions double fine documentary stuff like just about the best thing that i could watch or the most exciting thing i could watch is like making of star wars content so i cannot wait uh to watch that thing tonight it's gonna be a blast man uh, Doreen Clyer writes in and says, I really enjoyed my time with Psychonauts, but I had to stop playing on PC because I couldn't get past a boss with, a, with mouse and keyboard controls. Despite my best attempts to use the game with my PS4 controller, it wouldn't take and I gave up. What's the weirdest reason y'all had to give up on a game?
3: Uh, I don't say it's weird because I think I, 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 I did not finish... What was the name of that, an, that anime game I was talking about? Scarlet Nexus I ended up not finishing just because like, I, I think I had to go on a trip and I just completely forgot about it. But I might actually be done. I've been playing a surprising amount of Pokemon Unite uh, in really? the last month. But I might be done with it because I did not know that I think once you reach a certain level or you have to go to the menu and unlock it, you get like a monthly challenge. And I think the last challenge is, like, get to level 13 and you have a month to do it. That's the part I didn't know. And you unlock one of the characters. Uh, like, that's how you get one of the free, because otherwise you have to pay for them. Yeah. And I literally completed it. I was like, okay, great. I've been tr- keeping track of it. It's like, okay, I need to do all these challenges and I can do these, you know, by playing, like, five matches a day or whatever. Um and I got, like, I, I did it, and I was like, okay, great, time to go unlock. I think it's, like, Crustle is the name of the Pokemon. It's, like, a giant uh, crab under a rock or something. And I go to unlock it, and it's gone. It's, like, I had completed it the day after oh that challenge expired for me. So it's, like, at this point, it's, like, I will never play Krussel again, because, like, uh, that sucks. Uh so it's like, I'm mad at that game now. I don't know if I'm going to stop playing, but like I, at this point, I'm just like that. That was the whole reason I was playing. It's just to log in, do my dailies and like get that cross work towards. Yeah. Get that free crustle. Um <laughs> But now I don't know if I'm even going to bother. You know, I have Gengar, which is my like one of my favorite Pokemon. But like, it's not the same. I want that crust. No, I get it, man. I get it. Victor Fam submits
0: a question on Patreon asking, does being a content creator change your gaming habits? Do you find yourself wanting to stream a game or play a game more in order to create content about it? Do you force yourself to finish games in order to talk about it? Or do you drop a game in order to play the next thing? It's a lot of stopping games to play the next thing, I think, but yeah, I don't know. It definitely just gets in your head more. It's weird playing Psychonauts 2. And, you know, I had an early uh, copy of it and stuff, so I've been playing it for a while now. And it's weird just not capturing that gameplay or having a very content focused mind for it just like oh i'm just going to play this game for fun obviously i'm taking pages and pages of notes for the podcast which is obsessive and i should probably stop doing that but it's i have to catch myself because i think that i'm always recording it and capturing it that if you remember like oh no i'm not actually i don't have to worry about failing at this part a thousand times and people have to watch me i get to just be a goofus and be bad at the 3d platformer in peace and it's, it's kind of relieving actually
3: yeah, I've been I've been kind of just like, uh, not necessarily naturally, but like, uh, playing in like these sessions of like I'm because it's like I I have trouble playing a game for like five minutes and then like stopping to do something else of like okay, someone might be wa- like instinctually I've just been like, I need to play this for an hour uninterrupted and then stop and do something else because it's like you know that is kind of the format of like a stream or something um so that is like one of the ways and then the other thing is like i i don't like using guides i think because i like to i like to be able to talk about every part of the game like with some amount of authority so it's like if i look Mm. up all the solutions to every puzzle then it's like can i comment on the puzzle design of this game right interesting uh so i do that so i don't so i like to not use guides if i can but i think it's also totally acceptable like to like if i weren't doing in this job i would probably not care i would just look it up you know way more quickly so, yeah. That, that, yeah, that's one way where it's just like, I'll, I'll just get stuck on something for longer than I would otherwise, and I'm just, like, too stubborn about looking up guides and stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jeff, I think I have to sneeze, so can you just guess what the next question is? Oh. Uh,
2: favorite puppies in a video favorite game? Puppies. Um, um, let's see.
0: It turns out I don't have to sneeze, but, yeah, favorite puppies in a video game. Um, well, Okami Den. Yeah. He the
3: young Amaterasu. Good puppy. Uh, It has to be a puppy. Yeah, I am think. I thought you were going to say in general, which is like a much tougher question.
0: Yeah, that is tough. But hey, Darkfish Days here writes in says, It seems that more and more games are described as Ghibli like. What does that mean? In your opinion, what characteristics make a game Ghibli like? Uh, just if they have some homage to some Ghibli if, film, probably. If it
3: looks like anime, if it if it has like an anime art style, but not like what you think, it, it looks a little bit somewhere between like, you know, European art and anime. I think is like the thing that they're trying to look like. I mean, specifically, it's like a they're cribbing from you know, uh, Ghibli films, but it's like I don't know. I feel like too many games have used that. Or When I look, because when I look at them, it's like I guess I know what you're going for, but this does not look. I would not mistake this for a Ghibli game in any way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a vibe, right? Like
0: Spirit Fair. I mean, it's always. It, I always think it takes a very literal. I think people say that when something very literal pops up, like Death's Door. It's like, oh, it's kind of Ghibli inspired boss design. But it's like it's just that the witch looks like the witch from Spirited Away. I think it's all that's going on, or like Kenna bridges spirits. Uh, the game that I'm very proud I can remember now. Like, that one's like, oh, it just has, like, the little soot creatures from, or, God, are they? I guess that's from Princess Mononoke. I think that's the style of creature that Kenna has in there.
3: Oh, like, the the, the tiny little, like, black kind of like soot characters. Well, I was thinking of that from Spirited Away. That. That's
0: Spirited Away, yeah. yeah. But I think Kenna has more of like the, the forest spirits roaming around. I'm trying to remember. It has one of those
3: homages going through it, so. Yeah, if, if you can recognize anything it's like, that's like from that Miyazaki movie, then you say it's Ghibli-esque. Which right. I feel like Nino Kuni is maybe the only franchise that should be able to say that. That's right. And I guess... Not even for the sequel
0: because they weren't involved for the sequel, yeah, which is no, always a like confusing like, thing. Uh,
3: playable presidents, I think, is like a huge thing for me. As yeah. I mean. yeah,
0: he's really obsessed with it. Yeah, he says if it's not a playable present in a game, it's an insult to life itself, That's which right. I thought was a bit much. <laughs> non playable presidents were a mistake, is his famous <laughs> Uh Brett Hunter writes in and says, Hello, I'm in my screw. When Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 was released, I was seven and I created a skater named Tree. With bright red hair, no idea why. For the last 20 years, 99% of the time, I make that same character, regardless of if it's Elder Scrolls, Rock Band, or even just using the name in Pokemon. (laughs) Tree. Does anyone use? Does anyone else utilize the same in-game character over and over again? Or am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. Tree sounds really cool. Actually, if you're willing to license out Tree, Brett Hunter, I think you might have a business here. Cause that sounds like a good default character for just about everybody.
3: Yeah. I wouldn't say that I designed the same character, oh. but I use the same name a lot. Right. And a long running joke with me. Cause I'll just, I'll my in-game character is always, uh, Cerote, which is just Spanish for dookie. Uh, okay. cause I think that's very funny, but like the thing that has made it a running joke over the years is that depending on the style of the game, I will change the spelling. So like in world of Warcraft, my name, my character's name was Zero-Tay. So it was a, instead of C-E-R-O-T-E, it was Z-E-R-O-T-A-Y. So I'll just change the spelling to fit the context, but it's, that has been the, 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 my character's name for as long as I can remember. And I laugh hysterically every time.
0: Yeah, it is pretty funny. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think I used a random name generator for the first Kotor and it popped up Maelin, like M-A-E-L-I-N. And so now, yeah, it especially with Bioware games, I will just create like oh this is just my Malin character uh which is always just like an older black woman that's mailin in my mind so it's always like for RPGs I'll typically go back to that if I have a option
3: and it's like a quantum character. leap situation where yeah. Uh, melee is always just hopping between different fantasies and universes and stuff. That's the way I like roleplay it, yeah. My way home.
0: So I always okay. choose a dialogue option that's like the most
3: confused, I think. Get me out of here! Yeah, yeah, you know, they always throw one of
0: those in the middle <laughs> of a game
3: with no context. Well, they always say I have like a never mind or like mm-hmm. a, a back out option. That's always the one. So I only talk to them for one line and then leave. Yep. Brian W. writes in
0: and asks, What is your favorite mythical creature? From horror to fantasy to cryptozoic, cryptozoic, zoic. Do you have any specific fascinations with that stuff? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Do, do aliens count as a mythical creature?
3: I mean, I'm not gonna get mad at that.
0: It, it doesn't you know, feel I
3: like it's. I feel like they're. Yeah, I don't know. Aliens uh, are my
0: favorite, but I don't think they count here.
3: Dragons. I Think that's my uh, favorite. like xenomorph
2: alien.
0: No, I was talking like real aliens,
3: like Area Fifty One aliens.
0: Yeah, Greys
2: are like my favorite. Greys, like, yeah. I wouldn't call that a creature. That's too that's too humanoid to me. But if you were if you were going to say xenomorph, I would call that a creature. That counts as a mythical creature for Brian's question
0: here. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I guess he says from horror to fantasy. I don't know. I think dragon cereal like that. That's the that's number one for you.
3: I've been obsessed with dragons since I was a kid. I bought a, a, a book called The Truth About Dragons. And I was <laughs> going like, yeah, I'm not going to listen to them telling me that dragons aren't real. Dude,
2: what, it, what's the truth? What'd they say? They're
3: real, man. <laughs> what? The fire.
2: No! Wow. Can we see your dragon tattoo? No. I don't <laughs> have one, unfortunately. But. If I, if I had
3: a dragon, I did think about getting a dragon tattoo at some point. Really? But I'm, I'm just not a tattoo person. But if I were to get a tattoo, I think dragon, when I was a kid, was like, it's either that or like some sort of cool thing. Zero Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> uh, Jeff, do you ever regret getting that giant Mothman tattoo
2: on your back? Oh, no. That's paid off so many times over that's the years.
0: Sweet. That's pretty
2: sweet. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite, Jeff? Um? Well, uh, my um, Xbox username is still Tanuki Jeffro. Oh, and Tanukis are pretty sweet. And those are mythical. Those are just the
0: raccoons Aren't with they the big
3: testicles that people just say have mythical powers. Yeah,
2: they uh, apparently, and this was amusing to. This was like twenty years ago, so don't there hold it against me. There we go. But it said that they had. They had. Giant balls right. that like gave them magical powers, and so that was peak comedy. Back then. <laughs> Doesn't get better yeah. than that. That didn't make it into Mario 3.
0: Yeah. yeah, um, nice. but it did make it into 3D land, which I thought that was a weird marketing bullet point. Oh, the snooky suit <laughs> is back,
3: and how With the power of 3D we can make <laughs> these balls, like said Miyamoto. Uh, uh, I only wanted the balls in if they were stereoscopic. <laughs>
0: Hey, speaking of mythical creature, uh, Pelican Man writes in and says, end me. I'm a monstrosity. No, he says, uh, for which developer out there are you the most curious to know what they're making next? For me, it's Monolith. I love both the Middle Earth games, Shadow of, War, Shadow of Mordor, but we have no idea what the next project will be. I think Monolith is my number
2: one. That's a yeah. good answer. I, just, I don't even think there's rumors out there about what the hell they're working on. It's crazy. Serial has a better one,
3: though. Oh. Uh, to new Now, I, uh, I, I honestly want to see what, what Bungie's up to. That's not definitely related because they, they mentioned that project.
0: Yeah. That, that
3: NetEase is that the publisher for that freaky I project? So. Okay. They're, yeah. Some they're involved in some way, but I just want to see what, like you have, you have the live game that is the blueprint for a lot of games at this point. So like, what do you do? Like, do you feel like you have to, you know, uh, just completely scrap that, structure and start over or like, do you just make another destiny? And I, because I can't imagine people want that, but like the people at, at Bungie want to work on another one of those. Um, but I, I am very curious to see what that ends up being.
0: So here's all we know about it. Eurogamer has this report and I think it comes from the hiring, um, that apparently it is a lighthearted and whimsical game, whatever it is. Something comedic is what they're looking for. Hmm. Uh, And they say in this job opening, quote, living inside a giant database of hundreds of baubles, weapons, and armor is nothing new to you, and neither is building a system to cleverly distribute those items in a necromancer's dungeon. So I don't know if they're being cutesy with the job description or if it's like literally going to be a fantasy game and that's their way of trying to seed that. But that seems like a voluntary error if they're revealing in this job description that's going to be some
2: fantasy game but well the way they name everything though the necromancer could be a ship in the next game or it could that's be true. A poem, that's, or, you true. Know.
0: that's true that's true that's true um ken levine's game is up there um but i feel like we already kind of know it's going to be a procedurally generated story game first person dealing with ai and technology and the nature of humanity it's like okay yeah, that old enough thing. enough beats there. Um Hangar 13, I think, is really up there for me. Like Mafia 3 was their last yeah. game. Um and there's rumors that it's some new IP, some open world, but that's that's huge for me.
3: Yeah, if also if, if Valve is working on any non-half-life related projects, you know, back in twenty eighteen when they announced we're making games again, and since right. then they have released a game. Or two, I guess technically. Um, but uh yeah, I would love to see if they're, like, if they have any original ideas for, like, hey, here's, like, a, a new game that we decided to put out there and see what that looks like.
2: Yeah, for sure. Mine, mine good, sir, before yeah. you move on, uh-huh. uh huh, is Hello Games. Because they said their, ne- their next project that they're working on is, like, another No Man's Sky kind of big thing. Yeah, that is a good
0: one. And they're still doing all those updates. But, yeah, they said they didn't want to throw away the procedural tech and stuff that they kind of learned from and having a clean slate would be nice. So yeah, I'm still waiting for that. That's going to be huge. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to do more stuff like the last campfire.
2: Remember when they released I, that last year and no mean, one really probably. talked about it? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they'll do some small stuff too, but yeah. they, they have said specifically that they have another like no man's sky kind of big dream procedural game. Yeah. There
0: it is. Uh, Joel writes in, and says hello, Leo. Oh, Leo is in here, man. Anyways, uh, hello, Hi. Jeff and Suriel. Greetings from Spain. Hi, Spain. Hello, I love hello. Spain. Uh, what is the best game you didn't like? Whew, this is a this is a scorcher. I played Super Mario Galaxy for the first time on the Switch, and I could not get used to how Mario and the cameras are controlled in 3D space. I know it's blasphemy not to like Galaxy, and the game has many merits. It just didn't click with me. Whew, this is tough. This is tough. Um, sorry, I'll take this hit, man. Because whatever you say, people are going to be furious.
3: Yeah, it's it's always usually like I. It, it, it's like less about like oh, everyone likes this game and I hate it. It's more. It's always like the critical discussions are always like people always go down reviewers' throats for like not liking a game enough, you know, like for for giving something like Cyberpunk a seven and not like you know you, you don't see like oh right, I got a four, you know, like right. Uh, so I'm I I don't know that there's a. Game that i just dis- there's like a game in that regard that i dislike i i honestly think it might be gta 5 is the closest that i come to really i just i did not like that single player yeah. as much as i can appreciate like if you if you look if i look at the gta online stuff i feel like i appreciate that way more than i actually enjoyed like gta 5's campaign because i thought it was like one of those tipping points where it's like yeah other developers are also doing this maybe not as well like the open world stuff but it's like the actual story that they tell it's just i feel like i i seen that they're kind of storytelling flaws where it's just, it feels like the story meanders way too much. And it's very like, Oh, let's try a lot of low hanging jokes about like, you know, modern society, you know, like the, you know, let's make a dumb Twitter name. Right. <laughs> I feel like, like that, that, that's where I was kind of like rubbing up because it's like, you're just doing your stick. Right. Uh, so right. I, I didn't like it, especially like four is maybe my favorite game that they've made. So,
0: yeah, I know this is controversial, but at some point, I tried playing Symphony of the Night and both Ronnie and I were like, eh, we're good here. We played like maybe an hour. And to be fair, there were a lot of beers involved, um, but that's probably the highest on that list of games that I actively was like, eh, not for me, Daddy." Um, but look, you're screwed if you say anything here. Like, it reminds me of like, because I was thinking like, oh, would it be a fun stream to stream Symphony of the Night? But I don't think it would be because I probably would not magically fall in love with this game and everybody watching the stream would just be hoping that I would like it reminds me of I don't know if you listen to the fire escape cast serial I do but like it's like the big thing of like oh let's get Mike Mahardy to he's never seen the Simpsons let's get him to watch these Simpsons episodes let's give him 30 great Simpsons episodes then he comes back and he's like, eh, I think I laughed once. I don't know. Like, there's no world where that's satisfying. There's no world where it's like, oh my God, turns out everybody's childhoods were correct. The Simpsons are the funniest freaking thing, even though objectively they are. And Mike Maharty is objectively wrong and stupid for not enjoying it. It's just, there's no
3: satisfying route. There's no win with like the person yeah. in that situation. It like, it's a the worst thing you can do is have like the opinion that everyone else has. And it's like, yes. I don't know that I have like an interesting thing to add here. Right. Right. Uh, that was like basically me with the Sopranos like last year. It's like, I, I ended up really liking it, but not until like the last two seasons where it's like, oh, that's what they've been trying to do this whole time. <laughs> um, uh but it's like th- like i don't want to be public about the fact that i'm watching the sopranos because it's like everyone's gonna be like so you like it right so but then it's like if i f- like actually i don't like the sopranos and it's like you're just like what is that it happened already like who cares right you now
2: right yeah for sure Jeff, is there anything that you uh don't like that you should oh gee i don't know hansen is there a game that i don't like that everyone else loved and talks about all the time as it's the most innovative game ever no i don't think so breath of the wild breath of the wild but yeah but my like i said i started playing through it again i have enjoyed it more but i i haven't gone back i it's it's on that pile of games i want to go back to now okay And we all know you're oh. diligent about running running yeah. down that list and checking them yeah. off. It still it still wasn't there was still plenty of stuff that annoyed me about it and are you, it didn't are you, blow my socks off. But but I I've enjoyed it more. Yeah.
3: Are so. you are you plan Do you think it is more likely that you go back to Breath of the Wild or
2: Red Dead? Oh, Red Dead. Yeah. That's one I actually that that's one oh. that I genuinely loved. And so I do want to go back to it at some point.
0: And imagine playing on that sweet new PC of yours, Jeff. how good that would look. At some
2: point. Who just imagine
0: knows? if Streamlabs is just one quick away, but we won't put anything in your hands and force you to do it. Hey, look, yeah. Andrew Baker over here, he says, oh no, that serial prompt in the post makes me think he's leaving. If he is, I'm so happy for the time he had, he had at MinMax, and he was by far the funniest cohort there. Sorry, Leo. Oh, Leo's going to be freaking oh, furious. He's
3: crying right now.
0: Um, Andrew says, my question is, what was your first impression of Surreal? And what is it now? my first impression? Yeah, what was your first impression of you, Surreal?
3: That guy looks like me. Is my first impression.
0: (laughs) Very smart. Um, (laughs) Surreal was very quiet on his first day when he came to Game Informer, and we went out to get some wings in Minneapolis the Mm -hmm. day that he got there. And I remember he was just sitting at the table quiet, and uh, I remember Andy McNamara (laughs) looked over at you and he goes, "Ah, gee I'm glad you look like you're having a good time and he was like really snarky with you because I think you just kind of had like a flat expression because you're just like quiet and probably a little bit overwhelmed but um, that was my first memory of you is feeling bad that On your first day, Andy was throwing you under the bus for not being expressive enough.
3: That that wasn't even literally my first day, if I remember correctly. That was like my first day when I was in the office to interview. Oh, okay. And we're going to have a whole thing where we take you out to Runyon's. Right. Great great wings place. That was a weird day because it's like, okay, welcome to the office. You know, like, hey, we're going to give you a tour, meet everybody. And then it's like, I think at some point they were just like, well, we're going to go to Runyon's at some point. This is a normal workday, like, but you have nothing to do. So sit at this desk uh, and just, like, I don't know, browse the internet and look at <laughs> look at the office and watch people read proofs. But look don't at look at the, the proofs because it's like, th- that's confidential information. <laughs> uh, and I remember Joe Juba was actually, like... Um, I think when I met him, he was like, you know what? I already have a game for you to to review. And it was like King of Fighters 14, I think, at the time. I was oh, like, wow. Well, I guess I should research King of Fighters 14. And then kind of, so I was like researching King of Fighters 14. and uh, But I, it was a weird, like, I don't know how many hours just like sitting at a desk, not doing anything, waiting for <laughs> something else to happen there.
0: <laughs> what was running through your head, though? I mean, were you like, oh, boy, I feel like I'm being too quiet or anything?
3: Well, it's. I feel like... It, th- it was a lot of that and like, but also I, I feel like going around and talking to people, but like these people are working. I shouldn't just bother them and just be like, Hey, you <laughs> don't, we don't really have a lot of touch points yet. So it's like, do you just want to randomly make conversations with me about nothing? Right. So it was, yeah, it was a weird kind of awkward day, but
0: it's kind of weird. an awkward day. And then surreal blossomed and I learned to love him dearly because every time I would say, hey, who wants to be on the Game Informer Show podcast today? Surreal and Kyle were always the ones that would raise their hands the fastest and the hardest. And I usually had to grab Jeffum's hand and physically <laughs> raise it up. But he was very busy doing a bunch of writerly stuff, so I won't judge him too much. But So I learned to very much appreciate Surreal for being so funny and then uh, and so good on the podcast. I, I think it was back at Game Informer, I'm pretty sure, like Bianca Reichert, I remember at some point, uh, Dan's wife, like just was talking to me and she's like, Surreal is the funniest freaking guy on that podcast. It's like, yeah, you're right. I don't appreciate it enough, but yes, you are very funny on podcasts and in real life too, I assume. Um, But no, uh, so it's a a nice reawakening and a reposition of like, oh yeah, I should learn to appreciate how funny Surreal is more on this podcast. So so now I think you're very funny and uh, very smart and um, very handsome
3: as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. All of it. Okay, great. Uh, Neuroflare
0: writes in and says, My favorite thing about Surreal is he is very funny. Please watch his trip to the fortune teller for E3 predictions from Game Informer several years ago.
3: Do you remember that? That was a weird day. It
0: was a weird day. So you can find that if you go to Game Informer's YouTube channel and look up fortune teller. But we went to a tarot card reading and filmed it and uh, just got predictions about E3 2018, maybe?
3: Yeah, I think it was. Which I, I think in hindsight, I really appreciate that that guy was willing to do it. <laughs> yeah, the, I the know. Teller, cause that he was also he was not the first person on my list. Let's say uh, of of fortune tellers that I had to call around the city, but that yeah. guy definitely like found a really good spot between playing along with it and like being in the zone of like, I am doing the thing that I would normally do. Yeah. But I'm kind of aware that this is stupid, but I'm not going to either be angry about it with you. I'm not going to like try to think that you're making fun of me. Right. Uh, or, And I'm also not going to try to like play it up a little bit too much and kind of go outside the zone. I think, I think he played it perfectly. Yeah. Like, and I appreciate that guy a lot.
0: Yes. And I appreciate you as well. Because I remember, you know, Leo and I are usually pretty busy with video stuff. So it's usually a pretty full plate with, you know, cover trips and the podcast and all that stuff. Um, but like the morning you brought that up as an idea at like our morning meeting, like I was thinking maybe we should go to a, get, go to a psychic to have them predict D3s. Okay. We're dropping everything and doing that. Cause that is the best pitch I've ever heard for just a feature. And I don't even know if you were thinking of making it video, were you?
3: No, I, th- okay. I definitely thought that it was just going to be a written thing, I Just ask them a bunch of questions. Right, and right. Like, I, I imagine this as being over the phone, even of like, oh, because funny. I didn't want to bother them. Like, maybe if I do it over the phone, they won't be so into it. But then at some point, like, we ended up paying for that reading. Like, it, it wasn't like a <laughs> right. thing where it's like we were doing promotion for them. Like, we, we paid them real money and tipped them very well. Well, the funny thing uh, is that technically GameStop
0: paid them <laughs> because we
3: had our corporate card, right? So that's a really funny the, thing. The, the, the Royal GameStop weed, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kyle
0: Silva says, do you all think it was... Oh, by the way, he's saying this in the live chat. Do you think it was complete coincidence that all three companies, the big three, got the same tarot card drawn? It was like something with knives or something. And I do remember after the reading, the tarot card reader guy, he said like, so you're going to this E3 convention? Everybody's going? Like on a plane to get there or whatever? Like, yeah. And he's like, I'm just saying, keep your eyes open. It's pretty... Pretty scary uh, that that death card was was pulled for all three. It's like, okay, buddy. Like as we were leaving, he just like freaked us out that like I think something big might be going down at E three. I think I think it's going to be bad. Little did he know that
3: two years later, E three died that's true <laughs> you think that do, do you think that like whatever forces uh uh power tarot readings were like yeah guys COVID is about to happen and he just misinterpreted as like this video game convention thing might end up not going super well I think that's 100%
0: what happened sort yeah
3: because yeah. caused COVID sorry guys
0: mm. but I remember getting back to the office and I think I mentioned that in like a group or something that they were like yeah this guy then like tried to freak us out by saying something bad was gonna happen because it was three cards run and I remember Andrew Reiner bless his heart in very particular, was like super nervous. we like, wait, what did he say? What did that guy say? Like, what do you mean what did that <laughs> yeah. guy? He's just some random guy in uptown. We don't need to be scared of this. But that's my nature. Uh, Bryce Blackmore says, my favorite thing about Surreal is how well he articulates himself around interesting and often tricky topics of conversation. He will often help me to articulate to other people thoughts I have had in my head but can't quite communicate effectively. Additionally, he will sometimes have a take on an issue that I had not yet considered, which makes me question my own ideas and I like that. That's sweet. Yeah. Uh, sincerely, Eric and says, "I love it when Serial goes on a long rant about fighting games. The eyes of all of you glaze over, but I'm here for it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's good. I appreciate that. So- that someone like that someone appreciates that when I do that when." I talk about fighting against long.
0: Which, to be fair, behind the curtain, I feel like every once in a while I'm like, hey, sir, if we could cool it on the monologues yeah. But people like it. I probably was wrong. Cade Mead writes in and he says, I have a few favorite things about Surreal. First off, it's so nice when he gives a full speech about what he's been playing. I enjoy getting a full, usually passionate opinion, and he's blunt about the good and bad. We need more bluntness. Surreal has a broader awareness of games, which overlaps a lot with my own. It's nice to have things like Suda51, Fighters, Bloodstain, the Swapper represented. I also like how Surreal always manages to get Ben to explode with laughter with a quick, dry line.
3: There we go. Like this one.
0: Ah! Uh, Peerbread number six writes and it says, Hey Ben and friends, for Surreal appreciation, I would like to say I, that I myself lived in Mexico, then Nebraska, then Minnesota. So I'd like to know if if and when Surreal plans on moving again so I can get my affairs in order. That's exactly Surreal's path. Uh, I've also appreciated Surreal's gaming interest since they're they're probably the farthest from my own, but hearing him passionately talk about games he enjoys is great, insightful content. Mike Lynch says, my favorite thing about Surreal... Have you had enough yet, Surreal? Keep keep going. I'll be here for a while. Uh, Mike says, my favorite thing about Surreal is his Pokemon Brexit joke. He said, in the, like I don't know. he said in the U two in the UK, the two games would be sold as Pokemon Stay and Pokemon Leave. <laughs> oh. I don't was that I don't remember where that was. I don't remember what the context for that was, but yeah, I, I remember that joke now. There we go. Uh, G Max Theorin writes in and asks, What's the realest things I've ever gotten for you while making content? We all know for Jeffem it was the Ninja Gaiden Super Replay, but what about the rest of you? Do you think it was Ninja and Super Replay Jeffem for when you were at your most real in terms of screaming at Dan Reichert that he's being a piece
2: of s? Uh, I guess. I mean, I didn't have a a good answer for that. I guess that was genuine anger towards Dan at that point. Okay, so that seems sure. pretty genuine, yeah.
3: Um, uh, I was genuinely terrified the first time I did a video for Game Informer because it was actually, but I, I think it was Dishonored too. And I, we were doing a thing with Reiner uh, and I think it was just like looking at the game. I, don't, I think it was Test Chamber, I think was the name of it. Oh, really? like, hey, okay, dude, yeah. this game is out um, and I got stuck in like an early room and just could not get out and we were just trying to talk. We like, we had like a here, we're going to do the regular kind of riffing bit. And at some point I was like, you need to get out of this room, dudes. I'm like, (laughs) like, I don't don't know how to get out of this. It was like the easiest thing of just like (laughs) opening this window. But I was, I was so nervous (laughs) about being recorded. That I just like, could not think straight at all. And it was like, I was sweating it's like, it got to the point where it's like, by the end of that video, it was like, am I going to get fired for being this bad? (laughs)
0: So bad
3: at Dishonored 2. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yep, and no, it turns out it was for a completely random reason. Uh, But... (laughs) (laughs) It turns out that
3: was not relevant at all.
0: No, no. Uh, Yeah, I think like, I mean, it's pretty obvious, but I think like, yeah, during the Game Informer layoffs where after I decided to leave and stuff like that, probably the realest, I remember we were on the Game Informer show, the episode after the layoffs and it was so sad and Andy was on and it was super sad and his... Phone kept vibrating. It was making weird noises um, into the mic. Um, no, that was just surreal. there. Just to explain what that sound was for everybody. Right. The point is, no, <laughs> we were like on the on the podcast. and um, And I remember trying to transition then to talk about like community questions. And somebody wrote in asking about what we thought about Insomniac being bought by PlayStation. Which any other week would be like the biggest news. I remember like trying to get through that question and just melting down. Because it's just like, somehow this thing that should be a big deal is the least important thing I could ever possibly imagine right now after uh, so many people were let go unceremoniously. Um, so that's probably the realest for me. Or like when Tim left, that was like a sad episode. Uh, you know, just sad things, typically. Um, let's see. Uh, Ian Sweetage writes in and says, hey, CLCs. Last week, I woke up to find hashtag Tifa short hair trending on Twitter. Well, I enjoyed the neat fan art, mods, and an interesting write-up from friend of the show, Anna Diaz, entitled, I've seen Tifa with short hair and I can't go back. I can't help but think that that was one of the weirder and most unexpected things I've ever seen trending. What's the most bizarre, unexpected trend you've come across either on Twitter or in real
3: life? I think... I still... Bowsette might be the weirdest thing. Ooh. On Twitter. I remember See, I saw the original post, I think pretty shortly after it was shown. I think that was only when it had like like 300 retweets or something. It's like, oh, okay. And it's like just completely right. did not phase me in any way. And then little did I know that that would be the discourse for like the next month or whatever. Just like, okay, I guess everyone's still talking about that one image that I scrolled past and said,
0: huh, okay. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, I think for me it was waking up and checking Twitter and I, like lowercase i, tampon was trending i was like what is this? and it was when they revealed the ipad that ipad wasn't trending but everybody making the joke and saying i tampon got it to the point that i tampon was trending and that's something we can tell our grandchildren about is that mm-hmm. back in the day when ipad was announced everybody in, in the world made a tampon joke apparently didn't see it coming Why? uh like a pad like a pad or a tampon
2: uh yeah
0: <laughs> look we're the right three guys right. to talk about oh, okay. this thank god we didn't have to i didn't have to <laughs> explain brother. if you have any other questions um we're happy to <laughs> field your questions jeff um yarf writes in and asks what has been your greatest disappointment for an adaptation from any type of entertainment mine is the second silent hill movie yarf that was my question to the Game Informer Show podcast all those years ago. That question was read on the show, and Surreal had an emphatic reaction to the Yarf part. And now it is my name for Patreon. Now it is also my legal name, and I owe it all to Surreal.
3: Well, I you're welcome. Slash, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh,
0: yeah, Yarf. Um, I probably had the same answer back then. But my number one frustration with any adaptation is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Which the movie, you know, it's uneven, it's not great. I love the, all those books so much. Um, but the part that made me jump out of my seat in rage is at the very end of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, they're flying the ship, and uh, Heart of Gold, I'm sorry, let's get it right. Um, and it like flies by the screen, and like, where are we going next? Let's go to the restaurant at the end of the universe. And then it's like, and then it turns and drives, and it's like, oh, it turns out it's at the other end of the universe. And that's like the big joke is they were going the wrong way to reach the end of the universe. Which drove me insane because like the entire point of that second book, the restaurant at the end of the universe, is that it's at the end of time. It's not like it's a physical place at the edge of the universe. Like it's witnessing the death of the universe and then it resets as like, you know, the viewing experience as you always get to see the end of the universe while eating your meal. And so it's like, do they not even, do they not have an awareness of what the second book was about? That they could mess up that much to that extent? Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I said YARF. Uh let's see. Ooh, let's see. Uh Cyber writes in and says, just wanted to pop in and say, I love the social media and Discord presence for Min Max. The daily Instagram stories are really cool. Uh yeah, I record a video every day. A little Instagram story. You can follow us on uh Instagram, Min-Max show. We're just kind of running down what's happening that day, what we're working on, what's coming up. Um he says, uh, Oh yeah, Jeffum. Oh,
2: well, I was gonna ask.
0: Is the thumbnail for all of those still your face? Sometimes I like to shake it up and I'll like film my screen or film something else, okay. but it's a lot of my face as the thumbnail.
2: Yeah, um, because I, I went to the Instagram once and it looked like the Instagram of a serial killer. It was just kind of like <laughs> well, I was inf- angry Ben Hansen face. I was
0: informed by Jason Daphnis, a uh, Crossfade producer and co-host, that he said I should do those as stories instead of videos just so it doesn't look like just a wall of my face on Instagram. So we have behind-the-scenes photos as the actual things and then the stories, those are fleeting. The point is, he says, I like the amount of content y'all are pumping out now. It's been a wild ride, and I think MinMax has come a long way since 2019. Do you think that a growing fan base indefinitely is important? Or is there a point where you'll be content with the community that we have here at MinMax? I think this is a very interesting question, Cyber. This feels more like a MinMax Council question, like a very behind-the-scenes thing, which is our uh, weekly Patreon-exclusive podcast. But, Jeff, what do you think? is it important to always keep growing or is it possible to say this is a good size for the community? Let's stop trying. Yeah. I, I don't know how I you mean, stop. What does that mean?
2: <laughs> let's, let's just end it. Yeah. Let's Thelma and Louisa. Right the <laughs> uh, yeah. I think, I think obviously we would, for us, it's kind of sustainability. Right. is the important thing. And it would be nice if it, we continue to grow to make it more sustainable and we'd all be able to do as many hours as we want or whatever. But I, I think it's an, it's an interesting question that gets to a larger life question of like, how much do you act? What is sustainability and how much do you actually need? And how, like, are you just continuing to grow because that's kind of the society that we live in? Like no amount is ever enough. And so right. you're just going to keep on trying to grow and grow and grow. And I think with the community, especially there's a danger there of like, I don't think I've ever seen a an online community that got better the larger it got. It's a great point. Like, like you don't say like, oh, when, it, when this, when so-and-so was small, it was a super, like a super crappy community, but then it grew and got amazing. You know, it's, it's always like you, you, when it, when a community is small, it's, it's really focused and like people are all on the same page and the, creators can kind of set the tone for what they want it to be and the larger it gets like the the bigger the danger is that that's going to get diluted and so i think for us like i would i would like this is a better question for you Hanson, because you're the one who spends a lot of time thinking about like how can we keep growing and growing but i would hope that you would get to a place where you could say like no actually we're in a good place right now and We should just enjoy what we're doing and the content that we're making.
0: The fact that we've been consistently north of sustainable, as I always always put it, like the graph is slowly going up is a really good place. That's the reason we've been able to expand and add new voices and uh, find Serial 2.0, all that fun stuff. Um, So I'm really thankful for that. I think it keeps the content more interesting to have events and to have new shows and new people. Um, I think if... If it was a matter of like, okay, we're happy with the level of community we have right now and the level of listenership and viewership that we have right now. Let's just ride this out. I think the thing that people don't factor in is a little thing called churn, um, where it looks like the Patreon is steady enough. But if you really look at that, it's fascinating. If you really zoomed in, we have people dropping out every single day uh, for a variety of reasons, right? Mostly it's just like, oh, I just want to support for a little time. No big deal. But people are dropping out all the time, but we exist because people go to patreon.com slash minmax and decide to jump in to unlock those benefits. And so it's just like what seems smooth and it seems like a consistent community really isn't. If you zoom in, that graph is all over the place. And so I think if it was a matter of, all right, we're content with the community we have right now. Let's just slow it all down a little bit. I do think that means that we would die, uh, that we would slowly wither away and everybody would slowly lose interest at a certain point or just naturally trail off, which, you know, people support us for as long as they want to support us. That's great. We appreciate everybody that's there. But naturally, there is a decay, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So we need to keep pushing to fight that decay. Does that make sense, Suriel?
3: Yeah. Okay. I think you pretty well.
0: Oh, great. Thank you. Uh, Chris Prahaska writes in and says, howdy, cohorts. Uh, I recently played through Dark Pictures Little Hope and was enjoying it despite having some pretty major flaws until I got to the last cutscene and had two characters die in an insanely dumb way. I took most of my other issues with that game on the chin, but in that instance, it sort of soured the entire experience for me. How much does the ending of something color your opinion of it as a whole? Have you ever had an experience like that?
3: yeah i think i i like talking about games after i finish them uh a lot because it feels like it that's when kind of everything comes together you know like a lot of games especially now are like economies almost where it's like okay well i'm getting upgrades but you know how does that how does that end up happening like does it scale like like even you, you think about skill trees right is it is every time i look at a skill tree i'm like is this a situation when every point on the skill tree is a matter of when like, am I going to fill it out and not have to worry about it? Or am I actually making choices here? And so, like, that is a thing that, like, you can talk about once you've finished it or have gotten far enough into it. So I always I think in a lot of ways, I think the not always the story ending of like, right, I'm usually like kind of either or on a game's ending. But like I like having talked about games after I finished them because it feels like, OK, now we get to not kind of hem about like okay well this looks promising but we'll see how this goes right um so i i always i feel like my opinion on them is always colored by like well and they end up nailing it because they you know by the end you're you know like all the progression stuff works really well and you know every level is paced really well that kind of stuff
0: yeah i think i'm hopefully savvy enough to look past a ending that doesn't quite stick the landing if the rest of it's really good and this is just because it's very fresh in my mind but i recently rewatched ladybird because uh, I'm Greta Gerwig fan number one, except for maybe Michael Moran in the community who's <laughs> obsessed with little women. Um, but I recently watched Lady Bird better than I remembered it. I was just an emotional wreck, loving it the entire time. And then I forgot, like, oh, I think like the weakest scene in Lady Bird is like the last one where it's like just kind of this voicemail that she's leaving her mom. And it just doesn't land. And it's so weird for a movie that does nothing but land emotionally with just punch 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 oh dad scenes gonna slay you oh that changing room scene gonna slay you and then that one's just kind of like a eh, okay yeah it seems fine but i think there's enough there and i'm able to look past one scene that didn't yeah. quite land just just because it happens to be the last scene doesn't mean it's the most important scene
3: yeah. i had to do that with interstellar which i think right is my, great example not my favorite nolan movie but at the time i remember being like he always nails this stuff it's like his 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 movies are always such like fine machinery in terms of like storytelling devices that I remember like at the end of interstellar, I was like, man, screw this movie. This movie sucks. Right. Because it ended poorly. But then I watched it again and it's like, it, it is a fantastic movie with like, not like an ending. that does not, I don't think land, but I, I, I still, yeah. I, I understand what he's going for now, having watched it again. And it's like with, with that kind of like moment of like realizing that the ending is not going to be good. Uh, like I can appreciate that movie way more now. I think it's also maybe a matter of like, when you have an ending that doesn't quite land, it
0: feels so different in the theater. Like when you're Mm -hmm. with that big group, like the first time you saw Interstellar and then everyone kind of stands up and it's like, "Eh, okay, like that's so night and day different compared to just watching something at home where I think maybe you might be more willing to forgive some things at the end. Um, Let's see. I think that's it for community questions. Jeff, on what stands out to you?
2: I hate this question.
0: I know. That's why, why we're going to throw it over to Surreal. The, the big birthday boy. I feel
2: like I
3: have a conflict of interest. Uh, <laughs> 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 which question sucked up to me the most? Uh-huh. Uh I, I kind of like that ending one. Um, okay. Ending one. Uh, let me see. bringing examples to mind of things that just happened. Okay. What
0: about most stuck you've been in a game? Uh, streaming services. Content creators. Change the way we play. We're reason we've given up on a game. Ghibli-like. Uh, yeah. mythical like creature,
3: t- t- mythical creature. I think I like the discussion for that one.
0: Okay, uh, developer out there, most curious about what they're doing. Best game you didn't like, surreal, ask kiss rodeo. The realest things I've ever gotten for you. Most bizarre trend.
3: Uh,
0: they're all good.
3: Yeah. The one
0: about the churn with the community, it's surprisingly great
3: questions. Just outstanding questions uh-huh. this entire week. It's just been nothing but killer,
0: surreal. You need to make this call, dude.
3: Uh, uh, Stuck on a game because I haven't talked about that Pandemic last thing before Alright, Stuck on
0: a Game Congratulations to Solo You win Untitled Goose Game from uh, our friends at IM8Bit You'll, uh, We'll ship out the physical edition of that Thank you so much, Solo for submitting a great question uh, Now it's time for something that we like to call Get a Load of This All right, cereal. You gotta, you gotta hit us hard, dude.
3: Okay, get a load of this. Uh, there have been a lot of news stories, a surprising amount, uh, recently about video game auctions. Uh, yeah, and how those have been selling for higher and higher prices, and everyone's like, oh, man, people are really getting in into this stuff. Uh, well, it turns out that uh, Carl Yobst—I I feel like I'm picturing that name, so I apologize—released uh, a, a very long and thorough video. Uh, That is a a deep dive slash expose on that idea and how a lot of that value is manufactured and speculative. Um, And it's an hour long documentary video that just dives into like how a lot of the people behind this have been doing this stuff for a while um, and how you should not trust essentially a lot of those like million dollar video game sales
0: so that's all just to get the prices up for the sake of what the auction houses or assessing companies or whatever the hell
3: yeah so like the the ratings companies that kind of give them the yeah. grades and the like the 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 people who are basically selling them are, are in a lot of ways basically jacking up the prices so like one example that i'll give uh, and you should watch the entire documentary it's like fat, it's an hour long and it's amazing Um, But like the the one example is that they give is that a lot of the publicity behind like the thing that basically kickstarted all this was that someone bought like a I think a copy of Super Mario Brothers for like $80,000. And it was like, oh, wow, that's a lot of money. But like the people behind it were basically had a huge number of conflict of interest in terms of like the person buying it was basically had ties to the company that was the auction house that was basically selling it uh or the rating agency i can't remember but um but basically that was basically manufactured and they released a whole press release and so like that got a lot of people on board and so that's what kind of started that that snowball and a lot of it is like well they're basically following what a lot of people were doing with coins in the 80s and it's like you look at that playbook it matches a lot of what's going on with with video games now huh so really really fascinating video uh i'll link to it in the show notes but if you want to just look for it on youtube it's uh, it's very, it's, it's it's still, like, a YouTube video, so it's, like, it's called Exposing Fraud and Deception in the Retro Video Game Market, but it is it is worthwhile, uh, and it seems pretty, like, surprisingly thoroughly researched and, and well-made, so.
0: Nice, cool. Yeah, link below for everybody. Uh, hey, get a load of this. Uh, this is a tweet from friend of the show, Mark McDonald. Um, over there, used to be at 8.4, now at Enhance, uh, working games like Tetris Effect, but um, he retweeted, Apple Arcade's tweet where Apple Arcade tweeted out the new Tetris game which is an Apple Arcade exclusive called Tetris Beat where you have to drop the Tetris pieces to the beat and it seems very Tetris effect inspired. So Apple Arcade tweets about it and they say the beat drops on Friday. This is Tetris like you've never seen or heard it before with Tetris Beat. And then Mark McDonald retweeted that and he says, weird, I actually do feel like I've heard it that way somewhere before. (laughs) And then he retweeted all of the marketing for Tetris Effect where it was billed as Tetris like you've never seen or heard it before. (laughs) That was their big slogan. Good. Yeah. Uh, But I don't know, maybe the Tetris game for Apple Arcade is okay, but very clearly Tetris Effect inspired, which is weird when Tetris, the company is like doing multiple variations of that. Anyways, uh, Jeff, um,
2: you have one, sir yeah get a load of this uh, mine is a video by a certain carl yobst about auctions uh, in the video, video are game you serious yeah no it's it's a super great it's a super great video oh um, wow for all the same reasons that cereal said but he beat me to it beautiful so. <laughs> well do you have one from the community from the discord i do uh get all of this this one is an auction video by carl Yopst. i can't believe it <laughs> I mean, uh, no. it was everywhere. <laughs> uh, But uh, this one was from Michael Lynch and it is a tweet from a site called the Dodo. Uh, and it is about a, the tweet says this wild tiger shark has been greeting her favorite diver for 20 years. And after the pandemic separated them, she was so excited to see him again. And it's basically like one of these two minute, you know, video documentaries about this guy that goes, you know, a diver who goes out and apparently Tiger sharks are like actually super friendly (laughs) and you see just this massive tiger shark come up to him and just kind of bump him with her nose and he's like petting it and it's just like super happy to see him. And I guess they did this like every day that he went out like the shark would come and they say that the sharks can tell like the boats by the shape of them and it would wait to come out. And play with this guy. And so Cute. we're kind of we're we're monsters for hating sharks so much. Yeah, Apparently they're they're just big, lovable fish.
0: And if you get anything from this episode, we hope it's that uh Serial's really great and that you should go out and try and pet a shark. Yes, perfect.
3: Uh, Surreal, thank you, sir. Yeah. How are you feeling? Good. I was trying to bring up a tweet about where someone mentioned, like, why do we call them shark infested waters? They live there. <laughs> <laughs> excellent stuff
0: um all right hey plugs we got some stuff going on here yeah. at Minmax. uh first things first uh we have our charity drive which we're closing out this week for hopewell music a community music school in north minneapolis your donation goes directly towards funding uh lessons basically giving these kids a free scholarship with free instrument rental and we've paid for God, over 15 kids to have a free scholarship to this community music school at this point. So you can follow the link. It's in the description. It's givemn.org slash crossfade to donate. And if you donate, your name is going to be on that list. And we will be celebrating everybody who has donated tomorrow. I should say on Thursday, probably the time you're watching and listening to this. So Thursday at 7 p.m. Central, we'll be streaming the grand finale of our charity stream, by getting folks together in the MinMax Studio and playing Wii music. Celebrating the only way we know how is by getting ravi whatever on the drums or whatever the hell that is so if we're playing we music in the studio as a big way to say thanks to everybody who's donated and hopefully to get some more donations across the finish line and in that stream we will be celebrating each and every name for a donor so givemn.org slash crossfade um also we have minmax council our patreon exclusive podcast uh this monday normally it's the last sunday of every month but it's going to be on monday Uh, August 30th at noon central, Jeff and I will be taking calls from everybody who's at the MinMax Council tier on Patreon. So if you want to call in, talk about anything in the world with Jeff and I, or just talk about your favorite game, what you've been playing, anything like that, or you can really go behind the scenes of MinMax and talk about some super specific stuff, you can support us at that MinMax Council tier, jump up there just for one month, and then we'll be taking calls from the Discord. Let us know if you have any questions about how that works, but we'd love to have you call in. Um, Reminder as well, Peter McConnell, Composer for Psychonauts 2 is on the new episode of Crossfade. Subscribe to Crossfade in your favorite podcast app. Also, we have an interview that went live on Monday with Rafael Colantonio, uh, the founder of Arcane, talking about why he left Arcane after directing Dishonored and Prey, um, his journey to start a new studio, what it was like working on Steven Spielberg's LMNO, um, and also just talking about how he, you know, I'd say the industry's king of the immersive sim at this point, um, how he sees Breath of the Wild as an immersive sim and what he feels like that team got wrong about the immersive sim genre. So you can check that out on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash minmax. We'd appreciate a subscription over there. Throw a subscribe our way. Um, but then also you can unlock the podcast version of all of our interviews and a whole lot more if you support us over at patreon.com slash minmax. I think that's it for my plug. Serial, anything you want
3: to plug, sir? Not a whole ton. I would just like to... Uh... Thank the thank you crew over on Patreon. Oh, you're going right uh, to it. My God,
0: I sent you this on Slack. You're on top of it. This is the $50 supporter, cereal.
3: Yeah, so if you pay us uh, $50 or more a month, we uh, say your name during this <laughs> session and uh, with a genuine thank you, so thank you everyone and the thank you crew, which includes the Fatal X-Blade YouTube channel, the State of the Scene podcast, Joshua Busey, Clement Zobel, I am 8-Bit, Zachary Pliggy, Ludwig Roke Andrew Erkowitz, Andrew Valla, Beaten Out Brian, Best of the Rest podcast, Joar Hello, Mirko Arrico Torreno, Call Me By Your Name podcast, Mark Seliga, John Higby, PrettyGoodPrinting.com, Clint Farley, Drew Warnes, Steve Bamdad, Killer, Logan Krauss, Purebred Number 6, Chris, Spider Dan, Slick Nick, Spiral in Your Eyes, Preethem Yarlagata, and Dan Vallone. Fantastic.
0: Surreal, thank you so much. This is not a goodbye. I have a feeling we'll see you very soon. We're looking forward to talking to you again, but congratulations on this next step in your career, sir.
3: Thank you for having me this whole time.
0: Absolutely. Appreciate Thanks it. for getting Midmax off the ground with us. You have been a huge, huge, huge part of it. Uh, it would not be anywhere be near the same without you. So thank you for uh, all of your help, man. It's been a delight. Yeah. Um, and do you want to
3: close us out? All right. Uh, be good. Have fun. Let's go.